Welcome to the News Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. Oh, oh. I feel like I've trumped you here. <laughs> All I've got is a sound no, 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 no. We've got three and a half minutes to go. Oh, okay, sorry. I have to pay copyright on that. I'm not. <laughs> we'll stop there. That's under 10 seconds. <laughs> I had literally uh, a minute and 23 seconds left of just pure sleigh bells. Wow. Yes, you'd that, be a massive prob- bell if you probably, went with that. <laughs> yeah, well, we just no one would listen to it. <laughs> um, welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast. Take Christmas. two, because yeah, the first was, one was so bad. It was really bad. But welcome to our Christmas edition. We rodded it off last week. Um, we had to do it this week because of what happened last night, I think. Yeah, I think we were... It was like squad rotation last week. Like, we'll take ourselves out for a week and then come back. It's Have difficult it's, this time of the year because, like, yeah. you know, I've got little kids that want to do Christmas stuff. Yeah, um, Christmas. I mean, and I've got, I'm doing Christmas dinner, so I had to go out shopping and that sort of stuff. Terry's got stag do's to plan. Terry, <laughs> 365 days a year, Terry know. has stag do's to plan. Literally never known someone to go on so many fucking stag do's unless. He, him and his mates have got like some sort of system going. Like where wedding they, crashes. Yeah. <laughs> like stag dude crashing. Yeah. Or they just, someone's getting married. I've never heard of this guy, Nigel. Well, he's getting married and I'm going to stag do. See you later, baby. I reckon he's like a renter stag. Because <laughs> Terry's great fun out on the pitch. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. so I reckon he just hires himself out to go to Prague, Amsterdam, <laughs> If I'm honest, that sounds more realistic than have, than knowing enough people to go on the amount of stag dudes the series <laughs> seems to go on every year. It's insane. Um, that being said, it's just me and Martin today with you because Terry is away planning a stag do to Marbella or wherever he's I, going I this time. Because they're always exotic, aren't they? They're always like Prague or... I was going to say Ireland. Not quite exotic, but... Well, we've got Benidorm next year, haven't we? We have. Or this year, if you're listening after a week's time. <laughs> uh, that's going to be absolute carnage. I, I'm looking forward to it, but not looking forward to how I'm going to feel. I'm not looking forward to it in a sense of I'm 36 years old. I'm not cut out for four days continuously on the piss. Yeah. But I know that's what I've got to put myself through. So Got to do it. You've yeah, got, because you've I'm also... Be that hero, mate. I'm not like 60 where you can... You could maybe go, oh, I'm going to take a day off or I'm going to have a nap in the afternoon. I'm We've young got- enough that I'm expected to do all the stupid shit, but I'm old enough that my body can't handle it yeah. anymore. I'm an We've awkward age. We've got a 60-year-old with us, haven't we? Oh, we have, yeah. You've got to be, I don't know exactly how old he is, but... But if, if he turns around and goes like, oh, I'm not up for this. Like, I'm going to go and take a nap or I'm just going to go easy today. Nobody's got a right to go, fucking sort it out, dickhead. Right, yeah. get the also, Jaegers down him. Also, though, like... If he's like, come on, let's go out. 
You've got to stick. You can't be yeah. behind. You can't no, that's turn true. it in. He whilst, won't do that. Yeah. We're fine. <laughs> We're absolutely fine. <laughs> but if he does, he's like, this is the one the one event I was looking forward to. I see him <laughs> racking up lines of coke by a swimming pool. I'm like, how's this happen? But we haven't slept for two days. Then get some of this down you, mate. Four prostitutes walking in the background. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Um, How's your weekend? Uh, but busy Christmas schnizzle. Yeah, um, yeah. Went shopping today, and it was like a scrummage, constant scrummage. But it was uh, they were constantly filling the shelves, so it wasn't like I've done before, which, albeit in the past, has been last minute. But today there was loads of stuff in the supermarket. So for anyone that was interested, there's so a. I got to do my like vegginate tomorrow. So oh really? Well, I got it. Yeah, like, I got it today. Yeah. But you've got tomorrow, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I like Christmas. <coughs> so uh, yeah, weekend was relatively busy. Although I kind of, we kind of gave ourselves best best part of yesterday to just chill before the chaos starts. Yeah, a part of that was to Wise. sit down and watch the boxing. Something Wise. I don't often do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I chose, and I was conscious when I made this decision of... Yeah, no, don't, don't ask about mine, it's fine. Analyzing... My, my weekend was all right. <laughs> I, ch- I chose... No, I had a good weekend. White. Cheers, actually, for asking. But was, how was your weekend, by the way? Uh, I got a new drone. Flew it down at Gatwick Airport. Oh. <laughs> 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 it's all right. It's all right. Now, my kids are like... They're peak Christmas. I think they might have peaked too soon. Oh, really? I think Christmas might be a letdown for them because so, they're so excited. So what have you got uh, in terms of ages, uh, in terms of kids? You've got 10, is it, is it ten, 11? 10, 9. Oh, 10, 9. Uh, and then the other two are between 1 and 5. <laughs> You're just working it from like a school curriculum perspective. Under fives. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Under fives. Yeah. So they went to see Santa today and he picks out a present from... It's quite funny. They sit him down. They're like, right, tell Santa what you want, blah, blah, blah. And then he's got his elves stood either side. <laughs> and when it comes to giving him a present, he goes, how old are you? Keris would be like, oh, I'm five. So he turned around to the elf. like, she's five. And you see the elf pick out from a sack that's labelled unisex four to six-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Santa's really (laughs) uh, slightly disappointed as an adult to see (laughs) at least have a girl and a boy one yeah but then I suppose you need like the third options now don't you and the fourth options like neutral yeah yeah my child identifies as a block of wood yeah have a train set block of wood (laughs) you can fit in with it anyway Um, you went to also see Mary Poppins I did on your own? That was a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> don't, yeah, don't say that on here. Kids will be guided. That's uh, nah, all right. It's all right. It's uh, a kids' film. But so that, that was our. That's our relatively tame weekends. <laughs> yeah. Again, now translate that into a stag do for four days in yeah. Benidorm. It doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't work. But I did watch. I was flicking last night, and like. <sighs> A plague on your houses. Fucking these promoters that are putting on two shows, two pay-per-view shows at the same time. Yeah. Because the main event, I know we're going to come on and talk about it later, but like the main event is frankly what anyone cared about with all of it. And the other, there were a few highlights throughout the rest of it, but the undercards were relatively trash for both. I I feel like the only reason you'd be interested in the undercards is if 
Like, if I look at that undercard, to be honest, I, I watched, I think, one and a bit of the undercards of the rest of the fights. The only fight I'm interested in is the one where I feel like I've got a dog in a fight, which is Linus. That, yeah. is the only, that is the only one that I'm interested in watching because of that emotional yeah. connection. So, no, I mean, the... No. the if I didn't know Linus, I wouldn't give a toss. <laughs> that's basically long and short That's of it. fair. So you watch Linus, yeah? You give us a breakdown of that. Yeah. Yeah, sure can, mate. Cool. Excellent. I look forward <laughs> to that. Um, <laughs> but those main events, <laughs> they were talking a while back, Hearn and Warren. I think Hearn said in an IFL interview that they could try and maybe come to an agreement between the two of them so the main events wouldn't clash. Like, why couldn't you have done that? Yeah. It's so... I heard like, them defending it on the BBC boxing uh, pod thing. It was it was like, well, you know, look, no one's... I think it was Bunsen said, no one's going to lose out of this. Oh, yeah. They might not make as much as they would have made, but no one's going to lose. Nah. Everyone's going to make money out of this. And I was like... I'm sure everyone did make money out of it, but they did lose money yeah, on the principle n- that... They didn't make as much as they would have done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. But not only did the main events clash, like basically 10 rounds of the main events clash. Uh, Warrington Frampton started earlier. White Chisora ended earlier. So you had two rounds of Warrington Frampton at the beginning, which were clear, and then two of White Chisora in theory at the end that were clear. Obviously it didn't happen like that. But not only that, but pretty much the round timings clashed as well. So if you tried flicking between one and the other, it was almost the end of the round for the mm. other fight. So Warrington Frampton was like 30 seconds in front. So when that round ended, I'd quickly flick over and catch 30 seconds of the end of the round of the other fight before that round ended and then flick back. It's like, it was so horrible. And I just think that... But at least... I, I, you- at least you paid for both fights, mate, and sponsored both, and, and really invested in both events. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> um, oh, you didn't. Wow, that is that is incredible. <laughs> in a way, I did. So, when you're flicking, is it like loading up the stream as you're? No, it's per- it's like using TV. Oh, is it it's, really? It's incredible. You've got this nailed down now. Mate, I remember, and it's HD. It's it's everything. It's like just watching TV. I think I might need to get back on that bandwagon because I remember when I got originally we was using the same piece of equipment and it was yeah, yeah that, horrible. That was the infant, not the infancy, but like streaming in its first um, move into TV. But this is like watching TV. It's it's perfect, um, <laughs> and it gives you like four links. So if you do happen to click on one, it's not working. You just click down to the next one, and that then works for you it's that's pretty good it's the nuts um but yeah like anyway we're talking about how these things are inconvenient for us paying customers and how they clash <laughs> you paid for us you chipped in on behalf of new age boxing <laughs> i i tend to go with like i said before it, it feels like it's like a vote that i'm making like you know by paying your you're trying to actively encourage it now I don't necessarily want to encourage some of Hearn's cards and whatnot. And last night, frankly, watching the AJ performance was embarrassing. Like the way that he was talking on the side of the ring was just, and the way that that was really embarrassing. When like when he got up onto that uh, ring, and then they were like, "No, you better stay out there." That was really awkward. Just a man stood on the ring apron with a mic in his hand. Although it felt oddly consistent with the things that Hearn said in the past 
if he doesn't have certain license. No, no, no. All you need not... to have is a British boxing license to be oh, able right. to get into the so ring. So why weren't in the ring then? I don't know. That was mm. what made it even more awkward. Is mm. I wanted him to go full roadman and just like fucking cause chaos in there. To be fair, you know, you've got to be a brave guy to be like, no, AJ, you're not coming in, mate. <laughs> You know what I mean? I, I realise AJ's not going to kick off at the side of the ring. But why doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> because he's clearly like a bad man. There's bad part... I don't mean that as a bad person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean like, he's well, he's he got was, that street about him. Yeah, and he was encouraging that last night, wasn't he? He was like, yeah, yeah. listen. He was, he was trying to keep it under control, but also he wanted people to know that he's... He's actually... And he's, he's boiling, you know, underneath. Which I think... It was nice to see that side of him yeah. because we see so much of the saturated PR side of Joshua. We're already talking about Joshua. There's two entire other cards yeah. and this guy wasn't fighting. For well, whatever yeah. reason, we're, we're mean, now talking about Joshua. But, but I think that needs to be contextualised with he's a heavyweight and he's one of three of the most relevant heavyweights. We're, and Let's face it, the only... Re- Part of the the way that this fight was promoted, one of the two fights you're talking about was the who's going to fight AJ exactly. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, well, okay, let's come back to that later on, like the whole yeah. Joshua stuff. Um, but no, I just think there's part of me, fifty percent of me, thinks like fair play, Hearn, because if it's if, like from a business perspective, you can see why it was done. I don't personally buy the whole thing about there were no other date options. There were this, that, and the other. I just see it as if I'm Eddie Hearn and I see BT Sport taking that step into domestic pay-per-view cards because they've had it from, was it Canelo Golovkin, the first one? Maybe the second one as well, I think. Um, Maybe one of those on Box Nation. Not sure. Um, But certainly the Wilder Fury card was on BT Sport pay-per-view. Right, okay. And so now that's their first domestic one that they've run last night. So if I'm Hearn, of course I'm going to try and protect my my piece of it over here and run one against it to try and purge the numbers of BT Sport yeah. and make the BT Sport execs say this isn't a model that works for us because we didn't get the buys that we'd anticipated. And um, Warren arranged this date first, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he announced and arranged first. Uh, and then Hearn came out saying there were no other dates available at the O2 and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, may- maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. And I true. wanted I to sabotage know. that. I mean, uh, no, the dates, it was purely dates. <laughs> so I, I completely get, and there's a part of me that like admires that ruthlessness that says, I'm going to try and kill this. And actually, if you look back at when Frampton left Barry McGuigan... Um, he had the, the choice of going to Hearn or going to Warren. He chose to go through Warren. And if you look at his return fight, was it the Luke Jackson fight, I think, the one he did at um, the stadium in Ireland? The, on the same night that was on, BT Sport, Hearn ran Amir yeah. Khan in Birmingham. Ah, uh, okay, right, okay. And so again, you're you're putting a big name in Amir Khan up against Carl Frampton to take away those viewers. And then Carl Frampton gets his pay-per-view fight. And when he gets that pay-per-view fight, you put on your own pay-per-view against yeah. it as well. So I'm not saying that is I'm not saying that he's out to dismantle the the Carl Frampton. Well, you would. I mean you'd put you'd put like you say, you'd put Roblox in the way, wouldn't you? To try and yeah. protect And again, like as a business person, you can respect that. As a boxing fan, I think, oh fuck off. Well, the the problem is, it's almost like he sprints to get ahead of the pack, only to then, when he's burnt people out, 
just jogs at a meandering pace. So once he's killed any competition, then we'll, I mean, I say we'll go back to, we're not exactly that far ahead of it now, but we'll just, we'll go back to seeing just crap fights on a Saturday night pay-per-view. You know, once a year, you might get something that's genuinely worth paying for. But generally speaking, he's only pulling, he's only pulling these fight nights out and sticking them on the set just to try and kill the competition so he can go back to not giving a toss. Having said that, and we'll come on to that later, there's even more competition coming into the mix soon, <coughs> which I, I slash we, or at least some of us, uh, will hope is actual genuine competition. But where do we want to start to try and get ourselves sorted in re- in regards to these? Because we were talking before the pod, and you said we've really got to talk about these two together. The Frampton yeah, it's almost like you need to do it chronologically as they're running, but I can't remember for the life of me because I watched. I was flicking between the two on the undercards, whatever fight was taking my fancy. Um, but we'll start it off because you watched the Linus fight. <laughs> you said earlier you had a dog in there. Such a dick. So if you want to take us through that. Right, so Linus won. Uh, did he? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Did I? Did I don't know, okay? Oh, Maladry's <laughs> coming out. Maladry's coming out. Because you were bigging him up earlier. He's your mate. You didn't even watch him. Yeah, well, you know, when he's... <laughs> <laughs> like, you go for the streaming. I pay to watch the main event. <laughs> That's what I do. So, sorry, Linus. I love you, but... Not six o'clock, seven o'clock watching you, love you. So, sorry, dude. I think it was about half five. He was on the Facebook stream at the beginning. Ah. Um, Damn it. If I'd have known that, I could so have it's come even freer. Uh, even yeah. freer. <laughs> if that's so, a word. Um, nah, so, well, we won't go into that massively, but just a oh, shout out to Linus. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, maybe I could have said. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm going to be perfectly honest about it, um, it was underwhelming. Like... Linus is so much better than what we saw and it was almost I sat at home watching it on my phone wanting him to go through the 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 gears a little bit more and we didn't see it and that was his second fight in three weeks he fought a York Hall three weeks ago um and so I don't know whether you know two very quick succession camps back to back took something out of him, whether that opponent who was fairly awkward, I say awkward, he wasn't awkward, just didn't want to fight really, like tucked up continuously. So he won 60-54, six rounds to nothing. Um, but I'd like to see more out of him and I'll drop him a text anyway at some point and, and say that to him. So, um, <laughs> it's, But it was it was almost underwhelming and because I know that he's a lot better than that, that's where my kind of disappointment with it lay. But he moves forward. He's got his southern area fight against Taylor Jones in March next year. From what, sort of, maybe just just to sort of extrapolate that a little bit more, is from a technical perspective, is boxing a you can only fight what's in front of you sort of kind of thing. Like in terms of like what the performance he can put in. If he's got someone who is not willing to be his you know, quote unquote dance partner. Yeah. Is he is he just forced into a right, this is my one nil jobby because they're doing ten men behind the ball. Oh no, I've made the football analogy. Oh, Sorry. there you go. <laughs> You're out already. Yeah. Um Yes and no. Like you can do more than he can do more than what he did last night to open up gaps. 
He was getting caught with right hands. When he was going backwards, he was going backwards in straight lines too often and getting caught with a right hand over the top. Just tagged with it. He wasn't in trouble or anything, but they're little things that you you don't want to see happening to somebody. Right, because you... when that opponent's better on the other side, yeah. you don't want to see that kind of mistake being made. So whether he was making that mistake because of complacency with who was in the other corner, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I'm saying. It was a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, he, he wouldn't normally make those kind of mistakes. And so when I say he's better than that, that was a brilliant opportunity on Matchroom Facebook Live, five half five in the afternoon. How many thousands of people are watching it? Um, to be like a clinical taking someone apart yeah and even if you don't take them out he could have done a more thorough job in hammering them than he did Um, and again maybe that's the the two fights in three weeks kicking in um, perhaps but it was still comprehensive it was still better than most people would do it was still better than a lot of boxers after 10 fights now 11 would do but it wasn't what I know he can do yeah Um, on that what is, I mean, maybe this would be a question for Terry, but you've spent a lot of time on boxers, so I'm going to throw at you anyway. What is the optimum amount of fights to have per year for a boxer? I realise everyone's different, but generally speaking, because at what stage of a career, like, okay, so it, well, I mean, what you there, said, are, there are a lot of variables around. So you, when they're young, you tend, you tend to see boxers having lots of fights to try and build up their record and learn and looks experience, but at the moment we're seeing say AJ fighting what twice a year yeah, yeah. so shouldn't it be should it be more than that or should it not or when you say should do you mean for their commercial viability for their body to last longer I, for their I realize that it's it's almost a case of if I can get by by doing zero fights a year <laughs> still being a champion right that's not possible okay so I'll go for one fight I realize that's you know but that's human nature to try and get the maximum from the minimum. But in terms of uh, perhaps, well, I mean, maybe that's answered the question. Like if you can, if you can get by, then that's enough. Is that Most how- boxers will fight every three months, is the answer. So you'd be out four times a year. Um, that's when most... Would do- so if you assume you've got an eight-week training camp, which most fighters will do, and this, again, like, there's a big difference between Anthony Joshua making however many million a fight against a guy who's three fights into his career isn't on sky and has to sell tickets has to sell 100 tickets to make his way through it there's a massive difference between those two so straight away the commercial viability is probably the same problem for both just on different scales if you're talking joshua's only going to fight in stadiums you've got to sell sixty thousand tickets minimum to make it commercially viable the kid at small hall level, not on TV, has got to sell 100 tickets. So AJ can't fight five times a year because no one Because no one's going to... And so if they're saying he's a stadium-only fighter, he can't do it five times a year because you can't sell 400,000 tickets per annum to AJ fights. Because we've seen over the last one or two that there are still tickets left the day before the fight. (laughs) It's mad because it doesn't seem to matter what level you are when it comes to boxing... Basically, the the hand of commercialism is always commanding a massive part of your career, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? it is. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. Mm. Um, so it's the same problem, just at different levels and different. You know how much the boxers exposed to it is probably slightly different. Like, but now the boxers own the pay per view shows, as Hearn tells us. Um, the, like the the business model. So 
how much that business risk exposure falls on Anthony Joshua or last night Dillian White, I don't know. Mm. So if last night had tanked, if only 2,000 tickets have been sold for whatever reason, and... You owe us. And only 50,000 <laughs> pay-per-views got sold, I don't know how that works. You know, if you're in a... If you're in the hole somewhere, does that mm. fall upon the boxer to solve that problem or or is it on the promoter? I don't have a clue. Um, but it's an interesting one because eventually a show will do that. Well, if they if we end up having three shows, three pay-per-view shows on the same yeah. night <laughs> to try yeah. and kill each other off. So no, going back to the actual show itself, like I was flicking between... I, I predominantly stuck with the Warren show, but I was flicking over then. So I started off with David Price, Tom Little. So David Price has now, what, lost three, four fights in a row, something like that? Uh, something like that. He lost to Povetkin. Uh, he won a couple before Povetkin, I think, but like Sokolowski... Then, and, then he's lost two since then, hasn't Yeah, he? so he lost Povetkin and then lost to the other Russian dude that I can't remember his name. Um, so they they were talking about this last night of the winner of this fight and it's going to open up doors for them and I thought <laughs> why why because if you're Tom Little you're beating a, on that on that basis a, a washed up David Price yeah. and beating Tom Little does nothing for anyone really like if they have aspirations of going up to the higher echelons Tom Little isn't that gatekeeper to get you there. So Daniel Dubois knocked out Tom Little in five rounds for an English title. And it's not like that's catapulted Daniel Dubois onto world titles. Yeah. It's just he was a stepping stone of part of Dubois' journey. I, I, I realise this is probably a little bit harsh, but with the ex, the amount of exposure and how poorly he's looked at times at David Price, the only thing that I feel like you take from a David Price win over Tom Little is, see, he's not terrible. <laughs> like, you know, not that terrible, perhaps. You know what I mean? Yeah. But th- th- that's all you get out of it. Like, he's, he's, not, he's not totally useless. He's managed to fight this guy and win. But, but Tom Little, let's be perfectly honest with Tom Little, his level is Southern Area Champion. And that's fine. Like, he should be fighting for the Southern Area. There was a guy, Fabio Wardley, who was fighting. He's one of Dillian White's heavyweights. He was on the Facebook stream as well. Tom Little versus Fabio Wardley for the Southern Area title. I buy into that 100%. That's a good fight. Like, Tom Little above that level doesn't really do anything for me. So, looking at it as a David Price victory, does that mean that, right, okay, we've tried David Price at this level, this level, and we've finally found, right, okay, He's he's better than I mean you've, I'm just going from what you've suggested there. Tom Little's Southern Area sort of level, right? So David Price, therefore, he's as good as that. Let's see where his next level is. Who does he? No, fight? you can't. You can't be doing that with the man, can you? Really, because he's he's had a career already. He's been the <laughs> British champ, and he was talked about as going on to world levels. It's not like he's like gone back in time and he's now 18 years old. You're like, <laughs> right? Let's find out what David Price is about. So. Last night, I'm sure that was a favour to both fighters by Eddie Hearn. So, if you remember, David Price tweeted something to Lucas Brown oh, not long right. back yeah. where he, he copied in Eddie Hearn. He's like, Eddie, you owe you me owe a favour. Yeah, yeah. I think fighting um, Povetkin plus fighting the other dude where he ruptured his bicep or whatever it was 
Mm. Um, <laughs> I think those two things were maybe to help her out in a pay-per-view. Probably get himself a nice little payday for it as well. Yeah. And, you know, if you win, then yeah, great. Like, that will launch you on. But I suspect those fights were to help Hearn out. And then in time, you'll get a payback. You can get a Tom Little on a pay-per-view. A, a winnable fight. And Tom Little was due to fight over on a Sauerland card, I think. And I can't remember who the opponent was. But I think the opponent basically got, like, taken at the last minute, like, a day or so before. I remember watching an IFL interview with him. It was really hard in a hotel room where he was saying, like, I'm over here, I'm here to fight, and the guy that I'm fighting has now been taken at the last minute and flown over for another fight somewhere else. And I think that might have been a Matchroom USA show, something uh, like that. Okay. Um, and so it's almost like, Look, sorry, Tom, I took your opponent so you can come on to this pay-per-view. Sorry, David, you did me a favour with Povetkin and that other Russian. I'll get you onto the pay-per-view. Neither of you are matchroom fighters, so I'm not really sure why you're on a matchroom show, but get into the mix, have so, that fight. So so Price wins. Yeah, and so then what... Ha- do, right, first of all, cards on the table, do you care? About, no, 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 no right. not at all. No, it, I, wasn't, it wasn't convincing enough for me to think... Oh, maybe there is something. There. <laughs> it wasn't at all. If you if, to, to the listeners, if you saw Martin's face, then <laughs> you can see everything. He had the most convincing face of "I am genuinely interested," and then it just drops out. Like, yeah, really nah. um, And so the stoppage was a a poor one. Maybe they made a lot more of it at ringside. So it was a shot to the top of the head on Little, whose legs went. But he was still on his feet, still holding his hands up, but he was in like la-la land a bit. He was kind of all over the place. And Price was storming in at that point and the ref just jumped in. He should have given him another five seconds, mate. I don't want to see fighters fucking hurt on the floor, like on oxygen tanks, but there were another five seconds or so that could have gone on in that fight to give Little the opportunity to hold, recuperate, get his legs back, he wasn't in imminent danger there and then. And Kieran McCann, who was reffing it, it's a good ref. I see Kieran all the time. He's a good ref. But then you cut to Paulie Malinaggi outside the ring. He was going ape shit about it. Honestly, he was mad. He was about going, what? About I'm the reffing. Right. Said that ref, that ref should, uh, he should be doing four rounders. Like, he should just be doing four rounders. That was terrible. Actually, he shouldn't even be doing four-rounders because some of those four-rounders are quite important for the fighters that are in them. Shouldn't even be doing that. I'm like, wow. It's uncalled for for me. Like, to be that reactionary about it, to say that referee isn't good enough to even be doing four-rounders. I'm not, I'm not comfortable kind of, with that. To some, I mean, if that, just taking your word for that on that, kind of undermines... I, I like Paulie Manager when he calls out errors of judgment in bigger fights and you go what the you know I, I mean he was he was giving shit to about the Buatzi um, he went in on Buatzi later or the matchmaking of Buatzi oh okay I love it when he when he calls it out because it's very rare that you hear that to the degree with which he takes it but when he starts kicking off about things like that you go okay maybe you're just a mental case <laughs> I, don't, I don't know yeah so um... It's a hard one because that referee is so... Any referee is so susceptible to getting it wrong. Because if you let that fight go on for five seconds too long, 
you can cause serious damage to a boxer. Yeah. Spin it around. Later on, you had Carlos Takam versus somebody who have a gashy that they... Again, they found him out of the asylum house. I think we were talking about the other week. Um, the holding pen of foreign fighters that can make it to London oh, right. yeah. in an hour. <laughs> this gashy fella turns up who's like 17 wins, 17 knockouts apparently in Germany. <laughs> what? <laughs> like on that basis, why has nobody ever heard of this guy before? Like nobody's ever heard of him. But he's apparently got this record <laughs> heavyweight with 17 wins, 17 knockouts and one loss. What a machine. But what a machine. Yeah, he's flown completely under the radar. So who the hell are these 17 bodies that he's got on his record? I, I don't know. <laughs> Um, Imagine how bad they must be. I know. There's <laughs> another one like the Cobra that. Yeah, uh, you know what? He's the first person that came into my head. And remember then, when Hay returned? Yeah, and he was like, look, I've got to fight him. He's a great fighter. He's, he's a great got- fighter. He's got like 30 wins. <laughs> was he the one that they found footage of of the bloke getting. Uh, he, was in, he was in like a leisure center and the, the Cobra punched this guy. This guy then like. Two seconds later, he took a dive onto the canvas. I think it was. Some grainy footage. And it was just, it was the biggest load of shit ever. Filmed on a potato. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, so it's another Cobra. <laughs> He's flown over. and But Takam put him down three times, I think it was, in the round. And it was the same referee, oh, yeah. Kieran McCann. Mm. And by the second time, you're sat there watching it going... Like, uh, just stop this. He was taking a knee again, wasn't he? Yeah, just stop this because the guy's got nothing left. He's blown his load early on in this fight. There's nothing left in him. He's never fought a fighter of Takam's ability and he's clearly hurt because he's been down twice. Yeah. Just stop this. That was an Albanian guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm. Um, Because we don't need to see anyone get hurt out of it and he's not going to win the fight. So the same referee lets that fight go on to that extent, but... And that's heavyweights, but with two heavyweights like Price and Little jumps in maybe that split second too early, but they have only got a split second to sort this out. Yeah. You can't call it off and then go, oh shit, you look all right, actually. Back, go on, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you can't yeah. do that. So it's, it, I appreciate it's an incredibly tough call as a referee yeah. to get that sweet spot. The Price yeah. Little one was stopped too early. Okay, so we don't... that, but. So that let's go price little tick, right? Um, what other fight do you want to talk about? The because we've already sort of touched on it, the Takam fight now or not? I don't really care about it. Like, I well, I just found it intriguing that obviously he smashed this bloke out. The bloke went sort of was as soon as the fight was stopped, then he starts protesting, which you see quite a bit, don't you? In these sort of fights, oh, I wanted to carry on, god damn it. I mean, I know I was going down real easy, like cheap five dollar whore but at the same time i really wanted to carry on well why didn't you carry on then well you know so he's he's out with his really bizarre looking shorts just as a side note um the tacam gets called out uh sorry i guess i think has an interview blah 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 blah. i want to fight you chisora he calls chisora i think i'd watch tacam chisora you've already watched tacam chisora but i'd watch it again okay he wants, but why did he call? Why did he call him out? What? what? Because he lost to him. But, but why does he want to fight him? Will Will that catapult him further on? I think we need to rewind it, okay, a little bit, and ask the question: Why was this fight even on? 
The Takam fight. Carlos Takam isn't a matchroom fighter. Gashi, I don't know who he fights for. The embassy. He fights for the embassy. <laughs> he's part of their, their B team. Is Takam one of these almost like satellite fighters that sort of sits with matchroom, like Price, like um, maybe Lit was pushing it, but you know, those fighters that get sort of like, hey, do you want to come on a matchroom pay-per-view? And they go, mm, okay. There's maybe two options about it. Um, I think the first option is potentially, we've touched on this before. I'm not saying it's a fact by any means because it's genuinely not. I haven't got a clue. But is it that anyone that fights Joshua, when they talk about the amounts they're getting, is it that that's over like a handful of fights? Ah, okay. So why have we seen Tak? Like, why are we seeing Takam so often? <laughs> we've seen him against Joshua. We've seen him against Chizora. We've now seen him against Gashi, all on matchroom cards. After the Joshua fight, did we need to see him again? Mm, not really, but at least we knew what he was about by then. And it was a bit of a dodgy stoppage. Um, so bring him back for Chizora. That's perfectly fine. That's okay. I'm all right with that. Why have we got to see him for a third time <laughs> against a geezer that no one's ever heard of? Why? <laughs> I don't understand. Hey, it feels out like a, a spot on a card, mate. <laughs> so is it that those payments from Joshua fights are... Um, I don't even know what it would be, but like in chunks. So almost like a down payment. Plus, if you come and fill a space for somewhere else, mm. you get the other 30% plus the purse you're going to get. for. The- I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... If you put up a, a decent shout, enough fight against Joshua, you get that extra amount for coming back again against one of our other yeah. prospects. The other thing is... And I think this is probably the more realistic one from Saturday night. If White or Chisora had picked up a shoulder injury in the build-up to the fight, you can bring Takam into that. I'm not saying it's still a pay-per-view worthy. I'm not even going to touch on if the whole card is pay-per-view worthy because that's a minefield that you don't need to hit. Hmm. But it's a perfectly fine replacement, you know, to salvage the card is to bring Takam in. Takam didn't have an opponent officially until Wednesday, Thursday. So you can still leave him till Wednesday, Thursday without an opponent in case one of those main... Well, to be fair, both of the points you've raised could be still true, couldn't they? Yeah, they could yeah, be. Like... They, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They yeah. could they could work in tangent. So that's maybe why he was there. But do I, do I need to still see him on matchroom cards going forward? Even... Well, no, but... I just like... I like heavyweight fights and I, I much rather watch a heavyweight... Uh, two heavyweights fight who aren't like a Takam Chizora. I mean, Chizora's always good value. Tends to and be Takam's good value. It's not. It's not criticizing him as a boxer because he's all right. But there's no I'm, relevance. I'm not talking like I'm not a Brexit boxing fan. It's not that I only want to see British boxers, <laughs> but you do have more of an attachment to the the emotional investment to seeing lads coming through the system like from early on as well, much as possible. Also, those that have... You've already seen what Takam can do. How much is he going to improve? Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, you kind of already know that he's reached... There's a certain level you feel as you've already seen him going to reach. You can give me Takam Chisora on a fight night, headlining it. I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or as a, like a second or third fight before a main event on a pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah you could put yeah. it third fight down on a pay-per-view. I'm okay <laughs> with you that. You see Chisora Taka and pay-per-view headline. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> you know it's going to happen. But I kind of feel, I don't know, 
I can just envisage it's the year 2048 and Takam's getting wheelchaired out at the O2. <laughs> and Chisora's in the form of his life. <laughs> Chisora's never looked better. <laughs> Chisora's never looked better than this camp for 2048. Okay, right. So, um, we yeah, okay. So that's t- Takam ticked off the list. In terms of the undercard, did you watch, the, did you flick uh, across both undercards? Yeah. So, okay. So, um, let's just pick one at random. Martin Murray versus Ndam. It's a hard watch. It's a hard watch. You look, I mean, Martin Murray's painful at the best of times. So, you've got two Who's men. Ndam. Is he related Hassan to Jean Paul Van Damme? I wish. <laughs> it would have made it a lot better. Yeah. Like, at least he'd have been fucking no, throwing people no. off a boat dressed yeah. as a chef. Or... <laughs> Combined age of 70 for two middleweights. Like, tells you all you need to know about this, really. It was two older men. And I think the winner of this was in line to fight for the WBC title. Like Martin Murray, I do not need to see you fight for a world title again. He didn't win, so we're not. Thank God for that. I think they're talking about him hanging up the gloves, possibly. So I've no issue with that. He's had some great nights in his career. The the Sergio Martinez fight, phenomenal. Should have come back with a belt, maybe. Um, the Sturm fight, should have come back with a belt. He's had great nights. He shouldn't be having these nights anymore. He's not at that level where we should be talking about him fighting for world titles. Um, I don't get it. I don't get the the attraction towards Martin Murray or what we're, we're really seeing with him. Like, there wasn't a game plan last night. He was just walking in with his hands up. Um, Isn't that Martin Murray? Yeah, it's straight. It's almost like Martin Murray has this this field around him that as soon as he gets within a foot and a half of the opponent, his hands have to be raised up to his... What? Can you imagine going shopping with him? Like, just in the supermarket. <laughs> Put your arms down, Martin. <laughs> Sorry, as soon as someone walks near me, I'm just, you know. Yeah, it's like it triggers it. So, it wasn't fun to, it was horrible to watch, honestly. Like, I didn't enjoy it at all. So, that's where a lot of my flicking was going on. Because I still wanted to know the outcome, but I didn't want to sit through the fight. Um, But it raises questions. I want to touch on this quickly. It raises questions. It's an awkward question that people don't like to ask. I think Terry would probably ask this if he was here. So I'm going to take it on Terry's behalf. Like, Jamie Moore was in the corner for Martin Murray. And to me, he didn't have a game plan against uh, Ndam at all. We're going to come on to Frampton later. The game plan Frampton had for Warrington didn't really work. Or Warrington took it away from him convincingly. Rocky Fielding fought Canelo last weekend. Did he? (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah um but i think that is your point actually as it will transpire yeah look the odds were always hugely stacked against rocky fielding because canelo's an elite fighter rocky fielding isn't he was a belt holder but those few advantages that he did have never transpired into the fight height size reach those things never never happened in the ring. And so you need to raise a question. Jamie Moore is a trainer for all three of them. As a head trainer, I know he's got others in there, like Nigel Travis is a 
as the head trainer though it's your job to be paying attention to those those details the real you know working with the fighter to the nth degree to get those game plans together get them ready you've got three fighters who have been kind of career defining fights fielding always up against it so look you could maybe have spent every minute of every day for a year and he might have still lost that fight because Canelo is that good. All right, but then to, to add to that, I would say, yeah, maybe not quite as pathetically as he did. I mean, is that... Is wow. that yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but he got a lot of criticism across. It wasn't just me saying that. I is think the cr- problem was... It what, was- what I didn't like about it is that you get all the justification afterwards of, oh, uh, yeah, but like just because fucking... Barry from Blackburn on Twitter says it was stupid for him to take it. No one's saying it was stupid for him to take it. As a person, he gets that money in his bank account. Yeah. Cool. But when the justification for the fight afterwards is, well, look, he's set for life now. He's got that money for him and his family. That's not what being a boxing fan is about. <laughs> that is not what being a box. My my uh, main <laughs> my main interest in boxing isn't. And as I need to reiterate the, as this. As soon as the bell rings going, oh, thank God everyone's got their money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My main interest as a boxing fan, any promoter out there, right, is not, and please be clear about this, is not what their bank balance is before and after the fight. Yeah. I couldn't give a fuck. I hope every fighter out there gets a decent amount of money. And I'm really pleased for those who get really good money. Great stuff. Earned it. But that isn't why I'm a boxing fan. And I said I tweeted this last week and I got some dogs abuse from probably Liverpudlians, I suspect, because that seemed to be the, the general theme of it once I tweeted it. Liverpool, if they'd have rolled over United last weekend, 8-0, imagine Mourinho when he was still in that job, going into the press conference going, look, Martial got life-changing money out of that game. <laughs> life-changing money all the players did exactly what they were contractually obliged to do to earn their wages for the week yeah and look they made life-changing money out of that you've got to be pleased for them ain't you no because i'm yeah. i'm someone that's turned up to pay my season ticket money to pay my sky money yeah. to see the best possible performance yeah but you've got as a as a, someone who's organizer of that sport you've got to see is the money is a consequence of the sport in its purest form, i.e. because the sport at times in the past has been of such a quality that's drawn people in, that has then, as through the generations, it's created a demand to watching more of that sport, which has subsequently been monetized, and therefore... So what you can't do now is go, uh, well, you know, at least this guy made some money. Yeah, in a sport that he hasn't actually made enough of an from the outside perspective for you know made enough of an effort to actually compete in yeah i i, I can't I, I can't get on board with it. and that's why i call it look people can always say they can all there's those there's those baseline arguments of you're not a fighter you'll never know you've got respect to everyone that gets in the ring you've got it and they just go every on fighter it. deserves to be paid loads of money yeah but the same way that i would say um an international rugby player or an international football player or an international this or that, the same way that I would sit there on my sofa with my big fat belly eating my crisps and going, he's shit. Like, the same way you do that is because you're not saying he's terrible at a sport, you're comparing comparing him to his peers. When you step into the ring as a world champion against another world champion and then you go down the way Rocky Fielding did, you, you, 
you're not saying he's pathetic in the grand scheme of human beings. Well done. You've got into the ring. You've managed to get yourself into that position. You've achieved more than 99.9% of the rest of us ever will. But have you done yourself and your profession in the level that you are at the moment credit? And my opinion would be no. Because of the... I mean, Amir Khan looked... Fucking hell, he's dancing around. All right, he gets absolutely sparko. But for a period of time, you look, whoa, he's he's putting up a good show to go, Ugh. like I'm not, I, I don't have a real um, emotional axe to grind with the whole Rocky Fillion thing. But that was just to explain, like, the whole uh, contextualized pathetic. Because, you know, if you're going to get in the ring in, like you say, life changing money, well, he could have made it a life changing event for him in a sporting perspective. He could have used that to create some sort of legacy. He went down in flames, but boy, did he go down. He went, boy, did he go down fighting, but he never. So. Yeah. He's saying about those baseline arguments of, of people. If you ever criticise a pay-per-view on Twitter, which I'm prone to every now and then, <laughs> you always get someone come back. I, oh, if I had the time and the inclination and the energy to fucking rip this to pieces on, on Twitter, I would. But the ones that come back and say, well, they're risking their lives. Of course they deserve the pay-per-view money. You fucking <laughs> stupid. Like, I'm not saying these people aren't risking their lives. I'm just saying that card isn't worth 20 quid, say. But you can't use that argument. Because if you could, then you'd be going around every boxing event in the country, like crowdfunding for every person going in. Both sides as well. Home and away fighters. Because we all know they're risking their lives. But conversely, they all know they're risking their lives. They signed up for this job. Yeah. Every boxer signed up for this job. I'm not being harsh about it or anything like that. But they all know the risks. As horrible as that is, they know what the risks are. And they accept those risks when they sign that professional contract. And they're cool about it. Most boxers are cool about it. Like, even the ones that have been through the tumultuous times of Nick Blackwell's in this world. He's cool about it. But I don't get fans that are like, well, you know, these fighters are risking their lives. They deserve every penny. You can't use that argument for me. It doesn't work. Like, because then you would be given a four-rounder at York Hall, a a four-rounder at the Holt Suite in Birmingham. You'd be going in there and giving them pay-per-view money as well if you're going to use that argument. It's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. Let's rattle through some uh, of these uh, undercard fights. Walsh, Bellotti. I don't um, even know what cards he's wrong, by the way. I mean, the only one <laughs> I've seen... the one you paid for. Oh, the only one I've Walsh seen Bellotti. is Watsy Quinlan. So Walsh, Bellotti... Look, uh, I know Terry's quite vocal about Jimmy Mack in the corner of um, Reese Bellotti. <sighs> he, I don't know what Reese Bellotti is, really. He lost the Commonwealth fight, I think it was. Um, Ryan Walsh was just a lot, lot better than Bellotti, and Bellotti couldn't... Um, he couldn't get his shots together. Couldn't get him together at all. He wasn't jabbing to start things off. It was it was poor. I have to confess, I missed the first five or six rounds of this fight because they put it on. This is a British title fight. On paper, a fairly evenly matched fight. They put it on that free section at the beginning of the pay-per-view where they put it on Sky Sports for like an hour before they encrypt it. I figured they would put this on fairly late on because it was one of the better cu- uh, better fights on paper. So I missed the first half of the fight where I think Walsh had just dominated it from what the commentators were saying and the general opinion. And by the end of it, it looked like Walsh had just beaten the the competitiveness out of Bellotti. So I can't really comment too much on it, but 
Reese Bellotti just he seems in no man's land at the moment. I don't know what they're going to do with him. Uh, Boatsy Quinlan. I I saw. What? Go on, give me your take on it, and then I'll. Uh, Well, look, cards on the table. I sat there and I went. (laughs) This is going to make me sound awful. I heard of that guy. (laughs) Like I don't know anything about these guys' um, careers, right? And yeah, whatever. I hadn't heard of Quinlan. Well, at least I would have. His name would have been somewhat familiar to me. Watsi, I had. When I watched it, I thought that basically Quinlan was a last-minute embassy job because he was. It was such a poor performance. I.e., it was such a dominant performance. What would have looked like a dominant performance from Watsi, and. Within, he just didn't look like he wanted it. After about two or three punches, Quinlan would just retreat, retreat, cover up, just getting absolutely tag, 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 tag. And then he just went flop, not interested. And it, that's that's all I got from that. He really wasn't interested at all. And then it was over. Uh, that uh, So from, you know, my perspective, that's all I got from it. Um, from what I understand, because Reynold Quinlan is an Australian, so Right. Keep that in mind. From what I understand, he agreed to this fight two weeks ago. Like, <laughs> what kind of elite level athlete is going to be flying over from Australia to England? So you've got to factor in that time difference, that acclimatization, yeah. and try and get a training camp in two weeks. When two and a half weeks ago, he was fucking kangaroo farming or something out in, in the outback. And he's coming over to Do take we- on... Do we assume, therefore, that he was definitely out of camp, i.e. out of any sort of... I mean, I, I looking at him last night, there's no way I looked at him and thought, wow, he's, he's really conditioned for this fight. Last time he fought was in April. And he right. lost to Damian Hooper for some WBO trinket thing. Last time he fought was in April, okay. eight months ago. Right, so he- and he takes a fight on two weeks' notice to take on an elite-level Olympian who is probably the hottest prospect in matchroom right now, Joshua Boatsy. Ah, of course. That's that's what I knew. Yeah, I was going to say that, actually. Yeah. And it ends in a round. Like, this was the chief support to a pay-per-view. Okay, so then the question is, why? And I've re- no idea. <laughs> I've no idea at all. And this is what Malinaji went off at on ringside afterwards. He was like, yeah, I love Boatsy. Looks great. But why are they matching him with this fella? Like, what's that matchmaking? He's got to be stepped up now at a, a serious rate. They've got to give him proper well, challenges. Actually, they said to it, they, uh, they interviewed Hearn at the end of the round, didn't they? Uh, sorry, the end of the fight. And Well, same thing. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, he said, so is the, the, obviously the Sky Sports bloke didn't know the script. And he said to Hearn, is it time to step him up now? Hearn then said, well, we have been stepping him up. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> this was a step up. I didn't up. see this interview, by the okay, way. Okay, this was a step up. You know, we've got to think about now. I think the board are going to order Yard Boatsy. But then I messaged you, didn't I, and said that's what they're going to do. I was expecting Terry to buy, actually. But uh, you said they've already ordered. So Callum Johnson is, as far as I'm aware, he hasn't vacated the British light heavyweight title. As far as I'm aware. Maybe he has. And Hearn will clearly know better than I will because he's a promoter. So I'm not sure how you can order two fighters to fight for a belt that's held by somebody else. Unless they're talking about it being a final eliminator, maybe. 
Um, but they've already ordered Callum Johnson versus Joshua Boatsy, unless Callum Johnson drops that belt. We're not going to see Boatsy versus Yard. I'm 99% certain of it. Not at the moment. Is Yard ever going to fight anyone? <laughs> Let's ask Terry. If there's 10 seconds, we'll give him three seconds to answer it. Terry, what do you reckon? Uh, he's really, he really is sticking his heels in here. He's, yeah, just he's not, not interested. Terry, just give me, just, just name his next opponent. Go. That's really Your poor silence poor. will only incriminate Yard further. <laughs> <laughs> there was, uh, crikey, it was a fella, a reasonable name. Can't remember the name of him, <laughs> which I appreciate is a complete contradiction. Um, <laughs> Uh, is it Alvarez? I can't remember. A light heavyweight, a decent enough light heavyweight, had put something about see you in February, Mr. Yard, on Twitter the other day. So whether that happens or not, dunno. Um but I remember seeing it thinking, okay, I'm good with that, that's fine. We won't be seeing Bowatsi versus Yard anytime soon. Anytime soon. Who are um, we uh, likely to see Bowatsi? I dunno, who can they get out pedigree? of I don't know. I just feel like when there's another series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, someone will get flown back on that plane from Australia <laughs> and then that could be his opponent. Like, that seriously seems to be how Quinlan... There was a, a spare place going on the fucking next to Ant McPartler where Ant should have been, <laughs> but he couldn't make it over. And so Quinlan came back in his place. That's what it felt like. Um, the other thing was... It was when the ref shouted, Break! And then Boatsy tagged him. Uh, I wasn't paying attention enough. Okay, so the ref shouted break, and then Boatsy tags him. Right. Well, this happened quite a lot in the Chisora White fights. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, post-fights, I probably wasn't, you know, I wasn't quite as sensitive to the... So it happened in that one, and Quinlan was like, what? You you can't... And so the referee gives Boatsy a bit of a telling off. Now, Louis Adolfi got disqualified in um, World Boxing Super Series undercard. I can't remember the lad he was fighting, but he did the same thing. Um, and it's this, um, how you interpret the the break, step back or just stop fighting. What does the referee do? Does the referee physically step between the two fighters, pull you apart? Which he should do, in my And opinion. then say, fight on. But Buatzi caught him after it. And it was poor form. Like, pretty much everybody seemed to agree universally within the commentary team and afterwards yeah. that he shouldn't have done that. That's bad. It gives Quinlan a way out as well, let's be honest. <laughs> apart from Carl Froch. <laughs> <laughs> apart from Carl Froch, who, when they were debating this, ringside after the fight, and they were talking about, shouldn't really do that, it's a bit naughty. <laughs> Carl Froch's quote was... Um, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that. But the referee also told him to defend himself at all times before the fight started. So he should have been defending himself. What? But he shouted break. Like, if you shout break, then you accept that you're not going to be fighting until you're told to fight again. Like, imagine George Groves jumped out of the crowd last night and just chinned Carl Froch. <laughs> just left him fucking crumpled on the floor. And then got a mic and he's like, well, Howard Foster told us you've got to defend yourself at all times before our fight. <laughs> and he hasn't told us to stop defending ourselves at all times. Yeah. So 
I'm, I'm, uh, that's fine. That's not even like ABH now because we were told to defend ourselves. I'm sure someone somewhere listening to this is going, screaming reasons why they're not the same thing. But I'm rolling with it. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy with that. No, I appreciate it's entirely not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I get what I get what you're saying. Um, what I find out of all that the most frustrating is the inconsistency across uh, inconsistency across the. If sport. you turn it the other way round, say Quinlan had done it to Buatsi and really fucked Buatsi up, like left him on wobbly legs, and the referee only gives him thirty seconds or whatever it was to get himself back together. You know how they've always got that period of time. They can take a few minutes, but they never do because they're fighters. But if he'd have like if Buatsi had really been tagged by Quinlan after the break. And then they fought on, and then Quinlan went in for the finish and took him out. Can you imagine what the Sky ringside team would have been like about that? It would have been horrendous. Yeah. It would have been shouting blue murder about it. Like Quinlan, he would never be allowed back in the country again. He'd be like police escorted out. But because it's the other way round, same as with when Fowler punches uh, people you know, on one he, knee. He was, the, he was the boxer going through my mind, yeah. When Fowler keeps punching people on one <laughs> knee, the moment that happens to Anthony Fowler, expect Sky to kick off about it. Yeah. Right, we're almost through our, and I'm going to call them, disposable fights. <laughs> wow. Although we've got through an hour, so they're not quite disposable, but uh, Williams... Heffron. Yeah, Liam Williams, Mark Heffron. Uh, Mark Heffron. This fight actually reminded me a lot of um, Zach Parker, Daryl Williams from not that long back. The one where Zach Parker was renowned as the banger. And then uh, Daryl Williams just kind of outworked him. In this, it was more Heffron was renowned as a banger and Williams was a slight underdog. He was coming up from like middle. Um wasn't really given a massive hope in it, but he just outboxed him, like smartly outboxed him. Heffron's just looking for those power shots. That just it was almost um it, it was a warning fight to all those fighters out there that are not taking good steps through their career, but are instead taking fights where they're expected to win all the way through to their first well matched fight. Um, Heffron's kind of had that career where he's he's had fights all the way through where he's a heavy favourite in. He's built up a really good looking record, but the moment he gets into that fight where actually the opponent is a live opponent, um, actually it's it's more difficult than you imagine. And Liam Williams is a fantastic opponent. You know, he's his only losses come against Liam Smith, who's a former world champion. Granted, not a elite level world champion like his his resume doesn't give him that but he was a world champion um and Liam Williams lost two hard fought fights against him Liam Williams is a a tough tough bloke and underrated boxer and Heffron it looks like is a a banger that doesn't have and he was a decent amateur from what I understand Heffron he had a, a good amateur upbringing but he was just he was exposed a bit last night um Okay, let's move on then. Edwards Rosales? Yeah, so WBC flyweight world title fight, um, which doesn't engender an awful lot of enthusiasm within Adult everybody. Babies. Adult babies, if Hashtag. you like. 
<laughs> so I didn't really, I didn't watch enough of this to be able to comment other than this was one where I was flicking back and forth between fights. Edwards, from what I saw, every time I looked over onto it, was just brilliantly moving around the ring, keeping Rosales off balance, making Rosales miss so many shots. Like the movement of Edwards looked really, really good. Um, but so I didn't see enough of it to be able to comment, in all honesty. But he got a fairly clear points win to pick up the world title. I think what's probably more important than any of that for Edwards is his mum's been very, very unwell, like in the build-up to this. And his mum came to watch it last night. It's the first fight she's watched of his since his professional debut. Um, and it was a world title fight. His second world title fight, lost the first one, comes out for this one. He wins it last night. And you could see that, you know, when you see the raw emotion and you think... Mm. Like, ah, ah, that's that's touching. Like, the raw emotion of Charlie Edwards. He broke down in that ring afterwards. Also, I didn't see enough of the fight to be able to to definitively say it, although the, the consensus is that he deserved to win it. But just seeing that human element of it yeah. afterwards in the ring was just lovely to see. Um, so really pleased for Charlie Edwards. <laughs> what they do with him as a flyweight and with all the flyweight action kind of happening on the other side of the world, and as we've seen with Cal Yafai, there's this reticence to to get involved in that. I don't know what's going to go on. Um, so I don't know. But it should be a cheap enough world title at flyweight to get the world-class flyweights over for Charlie Edwards. But we've seen with Cal Yafai, it doesn't happen at Superfly. Um, right, let's move on to... Because we've got questions and we've got the, um, the PBC... Gump, and we've got cool. the two main events, and we're an hour and five minutes in. So let's talk. And I've got about... a sore throat as well. Have you? Yeah, I'm really struggling today. Should throw that in. Do you want another coffee? Nah, I'm break, all right. Break the fourth wall. Um, I could do with like burning my throat, maybe. Okay, let's just this pure is, black as well. This like, is how magic podcast because normally you put a little bit of cold water in. I don't want the cold you want water, it I want it like so to burn hot. the back of my throat a little bit because I think that might get me through the end. Okay, well, I'll just click my fingers. How's the coffee? What coffee break? Don't know what you're on about. <laughs> um, right, okay, let's talk, therefore. Can I now, give a shout out before we do? To? Like, whilst on this break, quickly. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. Sam and Richie down at Fight Talk, who were doing their. They'd organised it in a tattoo shop, a hair and tattoo shop down Essex Way somewhere, I think. Um, I couldn't get down to it because I was out with the family today at the cinema and doing this is too close to christmas for me but brilliant of them like just inviting listeners boxing fans boxers down to like go and get together have some ink done whilst you're in this tattoo shop i think they were recording their podcast while they were there great idea like get people together around christmas awesome that is uh i'm not sure i would have thought about that that's interesting that yeah i say unfortunately i I couldn't go we got this to do and i've been out watching mary poppins but I'd like to have gone. It's a really good idea. So just well done to them. You and your girls could have got Mary, Pop- Mary Poppins tattoos instead. I could. I could get some bird of an umbrella up my arm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the two main event fights, shall we? Yeah. There's not any other um, fights you want to talk Billy about. Billy Joe Saunders making his cruiserweight debut. It's good <laughs> of him. 
That was Andrade that uh, that um, posted that, wasn't it? Yeah, that was brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. I said I want to give a shout out to my mate Butcher Saunders. <laughs> mate, trying Phenomenal. to become cruiserweight. <laughs> and it's because he actually looks... Imp- I mean, look, frankly, there's a large percentage of the population that would be happy looking like that. Not professional boxers, though. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, to put it in context, he's a 160-pound fighter who's been out of the ring for six months, I don't know, off the top of my head, six months. You'd think after what he'd been through, Billy Joe, with the the nasal spray stuff and failing the drugs test or not failing the drugs test, whatever you choose to believe, in camp, out of camp, etc., won't go into it, but make your own decisions. Between that and the, the video stuff of... You know, they got him in trouble with the board. All those things. You would think you're now going to go away. Take that time away from the sport where you didn't get to fight Andrade for the WBO title that they kind of stripped you of or you relinquished, I don't know. Go away and concentrate on your boxing. He's a 160-pound fighter. He fought 179 pounds he weighed in at. That's pretty poor. That's cruiserweight. That's actually a cruiserweight. Like he's gone from middleweight, skipped super middleweight, skipped light heavyweight, <laughs> jumped to cruiserweight. It's mad, absolutely mad. And he was fighting Charles Adamu. Who, so, sorry, gone. Well, yeah, Charles Adamu's nothing really in the grand scheme. He's a bit of a journeyman these days, Charles. People always oh, he fought Froch back in the day or whatever. But yeah, ten years ago or something. Uh, Matthew Skelton asked, after getting caught with Clem Butrol in his system in February, is he still getting the benefits of that, even for last night's fight? See, yeah, I don't really understand this because I don't. Th- Billy Joe didn't have Clem Butrol in his system. I-, I can't remember what it was. I don't think he did. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure. I think Terry had sent a text about. Oh this yeah, if it is Clem, which we're not. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it was. Off top of my head. If it is, then cleanser. This is coming from the words of the oracle. Isn't it a fat Dharma. stripper? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't that many benefits on show. Yeah. Um, it's more of a stimulant than a steroid. Well, it's not a steroid. It is a stimulant. So, yeah, um, it, it won't. But then Terry goes on to say it has no long term anabolic or metabolic effects. Um, so, I know fuck all about so, PEDs. Uh, so. th- that is just total grey, isn't it? It's not, it doesn't even sound relevant to me. So um, let's skip on to the next part of the question, which is, can you explain the difference between a manager's role and an advisory role in boxing? Okay, yeah, cool. Um, so it comes down to, let's take somebody like um, Sam Jones. Sam is the commercial manager I think he labels himself as um, for Joe Joyce and there's an Italian fella that he's taken now as well two heavyweights so he kind of from what he puts on social media and things he does the role of a manager but he's not got a manager's license with the board so to put that in context a manager's license with the board allows you to manage a fighter so you do their, you plan their career for them. You take, uh, I think it's ten percent of their purse you're allowed to take up to. So you're forty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a throwback. Twelve yeah. months ago. 
Those at the first live show will understand that. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Um, so a manager, an official manager, is there to plot the fighter's career, organise their fights, work with the fighter. Um, you know, like Steve Goodwin is a manager of fighters. Sam Jones, you have to have had any other license. Could be a seconds license, a fighter's license, promoter's license. You have to have had it for three years before you're even allowed to apply for a manager's license. That's with the board. You've had to have had that license. Um, ah, so I see. You're going to management. That was that seconds thing. <laughs> you see it now. Yeah. The cogs are turning. No. So together. <laughs> um, as if I'll still be allowed that license in three years. It'll be gone in a couple of weeks. <laughs> for your own doing. <laughs> um, so you have to have had that license for three years. And then you're allowed to apply for your manager's license. Sam Jones, to the best of my knowledge, doesn't hold any license with the board, but is doing what it looks like the role of a manager would be for Joe Joyce, which causes a lot of difficulties. So you've got um, there's a guy, Richie Garner, who manages a lot of fighters around the country. He's also a full time lawyer, I believe. Um, but he manages fighters around the UK and him and Sam Jones fight like cat and dog on Twitter at times. Um, and Richie seems to have this real issue with uh, Sam for not actually being a manager, but doing the role of a manager. So if Richie Garner, for instance, does something for a fighter that is out of board rules, he'll get called before the board to justify it and maybe be disciplined for it. If Sam Jones did the same thing for Joe Joyce, he won't be called before the board because he doesn't have a license. So you're working potentially in the same role without the same restrictions and legislation around you. Yeah. So it's difficult. Like That's kind of what the advisor is in the UK. You have the advisor in the US of an Al Heyman, say, um, which is different entirely. <laughs> but Al Heyman, who knows what Al Heyman does? We'll come on to him later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for Sam Jones... He seemed to have been pushing this narrative recently that he's kind of close to Al Heyman. Um, so Joe Joyce has signed to PBC. He's been pushing this narrative recently that he's kind of aligned to Heyman in some way. Now, Heyman is notoriously difficult to get into the inner circles of his kind of trusts and friendships. I'm not convinced Sam Jones is within that. From what I understand like Frank Warren and Eddie Hearn aren't really within those circles with Al Heyman. There's still barriers before they get to Heyman. You know, they don't pick up the phone to Al Heyman. They pick up the phone to Al Heyman's helper and then they have to hope they get a message to and from Heyman. Um, that's how I understand it works. So I'm not sure really Sam Jones is, is that close through having one fighter in Joe Joyce with Heyman. I might be wrong. Might be miles off. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the difference. So you have also commercial advisors. So this causes a few problems. So you see it on Twitter quite often. The someone like a, a Jordan Foster or a CM Sports Agency or JFB Sports. They're all lads that are out there, and there are ladies that do it too. Um, and they're doing some really good things for boxers. So they're trying to get them commercial deals. So trying to help them get sponsors in. Um, trying to get them publicity trying to get them onto websites, podcasts, into newspapers, all that kind of stuff to help the fighters build a profile. 
it can cause problems um, sometimes between the fighter's actual manager, again, and these people out trying to do commercial work for them. Now, I know of one manager who had a real problem with one of these. I won't name um, the manager or who the, the organization was, but was like... If you want to touch, if you want to talk with my boxers about doing commercial relationships, you need to come through me. But they weren't; they were just going straight to the boxer. No. And again, you're then bypassing the board regulations of doing things, um, and it all becomes a little bit messy. So, yeah, there's all these different roles that kind of sit outside of the jurisdiction of the traditional roles. <laughs> Having said that. That sounds like the board failing to keep up with the modern world, does it not? Like, if, if you're, if if you're, if there's, if there's, if, if there's an avenue with which people are using for that, because frankly, it sounds to me like, realistically, if you're a boxer and you wanted strategy going forward, you could ask anyone, couldn't you? I mean, what what does an advisor do that a manager well what can a manager do that an advisor can't can they sign certain paperworks that you know certain you have to have a manager for the first three years of your career and then you can self-manage after that um i know boxers that have a manager on paper that don't use that manager for the first three years of their career they'll actually have their all of their strategy done by somebody else, but you've got to file with the board who your manager is. But I know boxers that have X as their manager and then they just pay them like a holding fee almost to be right. their manager on paper while they're getting that advice from elsewhere. How You can't legislate for that. Right. Um, yeah, there are so many avenues of like, can the board be responsible for that? I don't think so. Because if you think of everything that encompasses a boxer's career... You start thinking of like, okay, the obvious ones, the trainer, the promoter, the manager. Then you've got these commercial managers that sit outside of that. You've got physios. You've got supplement providers. You've got glove providers, hand wrap providers. Yeah. As much as they can legislate, they yeah. kind of do. I'm not sure you can encompass 100% of all the different things that a boxer has to consider. I don't think you can. I so think in that possible. case, all, all the board have to do is figure out if these modern positions, let's call them that, that have just sprung up, really from it's certainly a commercial perspective that have, that are more of a modern day phenomenon, they have to figure out if if the advisor, whoever you want to call, call them, if in some way it detrimentally affects the sport. If it doesn't, does it matter? Yeah, no, I'd agree. Like, does it matter necessarily? Probably not. And it sounds, but to then, me, it sounds to me like someone who is a manager is complaining that someone who is an advisor, like, I don't like the fact that you're not answerable to the same to the same people that I am. Whether or not they're going to test that, you know, that sort of framework is feels to me almost like, hey, I had to get a manager's license. You're going to have to get a manager's license if you want to manage kind of that sort of mentality yeah. um so it's almost like i've gone through the accreditation process i'm keeping this sport held to a high esteem and i'm accountable to people you're doing all of it 
without that framework. Yeah, and then the other person could easily... Well, I'm not in breach of any of those rules, so it doesn't matter anyway. Which is kind of fine until something goes wrong. If something goes wrong, say you had an advisor that wasn't legislated by the board... And you found out, and I'm not saying this is the case. Like no, nobody so sued me about this. It's purely X. hypothetical. Yeah. But say that that advisor was found to be taking sixty percent of the fighter's purse. If you've got a proper manager doing all that for you, you can take that to the board and say, "Look, this is what the promoters paid me. This is what they've taken. This is what I was left with." And the board can rule on that and can make the money come back to you. If you've employed somebody outside of all of this board stuff and 60% of your purse goes missing, you've got no repercussion outside of a legal... So it's, a, it's for the boxer's protection, then. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's holding things... The board are there to try and make sure the, the sport is run as professionally as possible um, and there aren't problems, both inside and outside the ring. If you choose to bypass that, then you are inviting a little bit of of an issue somewhere. You're a company man, mate. <laughs> and the board do a fantastic job. <laughs> they do, to be fair. like The people that I know who work within their frameworks and legislations do speak highly of it. You know, from an outside perspective, what actually sort of... Because they'll know... Being, they're all they're going to be targets for abuse. The FAR, the you know the RFBR, that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, RFU, sorry. Uh, the, those places, they're always targets for someone's abuse. But I remember, and I don't know what the guy's name was. The, the head of BBBFC was on the radio. Robert Smith. And they were talking. Yeah, that's right. And they were talking to him about um, about at the time Tyson Fury not having a license. And they were saying that they're not going to give him his license back. And he's like, we've no reason to not give him his license back if he meets all the required standards that we're asking of him. All, we, all he's got to do, he hasn't applied. So we haven't rejected giving him it back. He hasn't applied yet. And but there was all this kerf- like kerfuffle I going remember. on about him not get. oh, they're not going to give him his license back. He applied and he got his license. <laughs> exactly the way that this Robert Smith had said, suggested that it would be. As long as he meets the required standards, no reason why I can't give it to him. And it happened and I thought... Yeah, actually, to be fair, they've, they've done all right there. And I've, I've spoken with Robert Smith numerous times and interviewed him once and met him a few times outside of interviews just chatting. He's a really, really decent bloke. Um, and also... Would you say he's got his finger on the pulse of things? With Yes, around, you know, yes, 100%. Right. Um, and he's... Even the most ardent critics of the board, so somebody like Bieber, for instance, who their guy Gianluca Di Caro, who's the head of that, even he doesn't really have an issue with with Rob Smith. Even he speaks quite highly of Robert Smith. Um, he doesn't speak highly of everybody else within the organisation, but Robert Smith is seen as a a good head of that that organisation. Um, and it's not to say the board are faultless. Like people criticise the board for certain yeah. things, which you can take a view as to whether they're right or wrong. Stuff like let's take Buatzi versus Yard. If that is sanctioned for the British title, say say it is. Say Hearn was right in what he said. Plenty of people can say, "What the fuck is that about?" <laughs> like Buatzi's best win against a Brit is off the top of my head, Jordan Joseph. And Yard's best win against a Brit is Chris Hobbs. 
I think those two are right. Neither of those two, like if you're saying how do you get to the British title, neither of them have got a significant win on their record, really. No. Shizlocker for Yard, probably the emu farmer last night for, for Buatsi. <laughs> um, those are probably their best wins. Does that justify a shot of the British title? What should be a shot of the British title? It isn't written down anywhere. There's no, you know, there's no legislation around yeah. that. And there's no, um, there's no transparency around how you get to it. So they don't release the, the information about if, again, hypothetically, say Boatsy Yard is made, Nobody finds out why it's made. You just found out that it's made. Yeah. And whether that's through um, propagandering from managers, promoters, etc. No matter how transparent you make it, it's right. It's it's at least open for people to speculate that the process is fraudulent in some way anyway, isn't it? Like if you said, well, I put it on a points basis. Well, who allocates the points then? Yeah. You know, and oh, you didn't, you shouldn't have given him four points for that. It's just, it doesn't matter how you go about it. I, and, I and normally the end results are all right. Like if we got Boatsy versus Yard, no one's going to complain about that for the British title as a fight. What you can do is complain about why is Miles Shinkwin not in that position? A guy who's just won the English title, has previously won the Southern area. You know, he's gone through those traditional steps and maybe deserves a shot above someone who's just beaten up the emu farmer <laughs> or Anthony Yard. The latest em- embassy being embassy fighter being wheeled out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe you can say those people deserve the fights because they've gone via the traditional routes over someone who's fighting... <laughs> non-British fighters stepping yeah. in for a British title fight. Um, but I said the end results are normally all right. How you get there is possibly the questionable point. So neither of us, to sort of traverse our way back out of this rabbit warren, um, we, it was the Billy Joe Saunders fight and the question that got us to this to this point. Neither of us watched the Billy Joe Saunders fight. It wasn't fight. even on TV, I don't think, oh, okay. to be fair. So, but he won and... He stopped a Damu. Moves so. on to cruiserweight titles. <laughs> Good on him. Um, right. So, so we, I think we should come. The, the, the rest of our questions revolve around um, items further down the agenda. So let's talk about last night's fights. Then Frampton Warrington and Chisora White. Um, I actually only watched Chisora White. Uh, made the choice, and part of that reason was. I had a mate coming over, didn't know what time was going to be here. I was willing to pause the TV and wait for him to turn up and then watch it. What a mate you are. What a mate you yeah, are. Yeah, well, you know, I don't like to shout about it, but yeah, know, that is a kind will. of sacrifice that I'm willing to do. I wouldn't, I don't like to tell, you know, I don't like to go on about it, but I will happily put it on our podcast for... <laughs> <laughs> But, um, You're like the dickhead who gives a, like, a tenner to a homeless man but films it yeah. and puts it on social media. <laughs> Hashtag selfless. <laughs> Hashtag, what is it? Um, totally altruistic. And the Google search helped me find that word. <laughs> Before you called me out because I know you would have <laughs> You truly do live a virtuous life, don't you, Andy? It's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, to sort of expand on that, when I got the Wilder Fury fight, I couldn't pause it. It just said, you're not, oh, okay. I couldn't record it. I couldn't pause it. So that was through my Sky systems. I thought, like, I'm not paying for uh, Frampton Warrington only to then be told I can't pause it or whatever. So, yeah. um, 
So tell us more about how you helped a mate out, but you don't want any <laughs> selflessness. Yeah, yeah, big time. He'll know. He'll know. He'll be. He'll be thinking to himself. Probably listen to this. Like, ah, oh, that guy is. is awesome. Go. I thought I was watching it live as well because, yeah. uh, you know, Andy's such a big man. He never even told never me. Never mentioned this. it. Which I did as well. Of course you did. Because you mentioned it on here. You've got no morals, you prick. <laughs> of course you mentioned oh, it. Dear. I bet you mentioned it every round as well. <laughs> yeah. Just remember, we're slightly behind here because uh, obviously I'll pause this for you. Just high five, holding my hand up. He's like, do I need to high five you again? Yeah, obviously. Yeah, or get out. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just press exit and we'll have to watch it where it lands. I think you should have just given him the silent treatment for the whole fight because you were so angry about it. <laughs> I want to watch this live, you know. Like, I didn't ask you to. Look, I don't want your shit. I just want to watch it live. Finish talking. Um, right, so I only watched Chisora White. <laughs> and yeah, I I thought Chisora did all right, actually. Um, he, I was really impressed with his energy output. Mm, I'm not going to speculate. At all. No, 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 I'm not. No, no, no. I'm just going to say, on a, from a, like, just look, approaching it from a naive, potentially, but a pure perspective, that, that energy output was impressive. He was absolutely hammered for a 37-year-old bloke, 36-year-old bloke, whatever he is. He was absolutely giving it full guns. And I reckon until about round eight, that's when he started to maybe show a little bit. Also, they were both just taking so much punishment and throwing so much energy. I, I, I enjoyed that perspective. I actually had Chisora... I had him up, even though he'd lost, it had two points taken off him for... I can't remember the first one. I, the first one, I can't remember if it was... I know, the first one was low blows. Second was the elbow. one was the it? elbow, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I actually had him up at the end when I thought, this can't be right. But the, he was up on two cards, wasn't he? Um, when he was finally sort of absolutely smashed by, by White. Um, and to the point where, um, obviously you've all seen it, but he's on the canvas with one arm still stiff. That's when you know someone's out, don't you? When they're sort of still stiff. But, <clears throat> um, yeah, he, showed, I, he showed that crazy human trait that only fighters do, I think, where... If you or I got knocked out like that, not just knocked out, but exhausted knocked out, yeah. you'd be out. Whereas after like five, six seconds, he, he still to- tries to get up. <laughs> and his body goes, nope. <laughs> but like there's still that natural inclination to try and rise off the canvas. Yeah. You're like, how? Yeah, that was an immense punch as well. Um, which came from hell, didn't it? It's like, came right up. Yeah, it was beautifully done because he'd actually dipped to the left, didn't it? I think yeah. he'd missed the right hand, was it, before? Yeah, I think um, so. I've... And then you could see it was a purposeful yeah. dip to the left. Oh, the yeah. shoulder went down yeah, yeah. and then just came up. And oh, I realise yeah. it's easy for them to say this, but at the end he said that that's what he'd been going for and he, he was trying to land that. Well, he landed fight. the left hook on uh, Lucas Brown that knocked him out cold. He's obviously got that left hook against Joshua that wobbled him all those years back. It's clearly a strong suit for Dillian White, is that left hook. I, I um, really felt for Jazora, and I, I can't help but still go through my mind the, the the whole Terry quote, and this isn't verbatim, but it was along the lines of, you know what I'm going to say, um, we live in a world where 
Joe Parker is a world champion, but Chisora was never held one. I thought the amount of energy he put into that. Now, I realise this is a world apart from last year in Monaco, where it was just, you know... The Caballelfo. Yeah, by comparison, is looked like two different guys. But, you know, I just felt like if you looked at that and said, that is a former world champion, you'd be like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, so I did feel for him a little bit. Um, but uh, I... I was pleased, actually halfway through the fight, my sister was watching me as well, and she said, who do you want to win? And uh, being a fellow casual, I was, that's, I was happy with those sort of questions. And I said, probably my heart says Chisora, but my head says White. And I never really used to like Dillian White, but I feel like he came into this, that's the first time I've seen him come into a ring in decent, really decent shape, I, I felt, for, for Dillian White. In the past, he's come in with what I would consider f- f- a man of in uh, his level of sport with boobs. And then <laughs> yesterday, he came in in decent condition. And I thought, no matter how much Chisora's brought to this, because there was talk beforehand that he's taking it much more seriously. Um, uh, but I, I, I heard a, a radio interview where apparently Hayes got involved, giving him training regimes, told him to go down the gym. And then it was a guy on Talks Boy. He said, you'd have thought a guy at that level would know that he has to go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. So I realised Chisora's got a bit of a checkered history with like the with his perhaps application of himself in the gym and whatnot. But he, from what I understand... The, uh, um, oh, because David Hay told us that he's in the oh, best well, physical yeah. shape of his life. David Hay's not a man to lie about but physical it, shape, is he? But he did look, he did look good, and uh, and for me, the power output meant that he'd done at least something more than nothing, you know, in terms of his preparation for it. But White was just, I don't know how you look at it. I'd like to uh, ask you in that respect, like Chisora, do you look at it as like White floors him in the eleventh round, eleventh yes. round, and Chisora's up on two cards. Is that Dillian White taking an educated gamble on the fact that he can end it when he wants to, or or just no, no, or, you don't know because that seems very no, no. risky at that point. Or I mean, because Dillian White looked the more comfortable throughout the fight, especially towards the end when Chisora looked like he was blown. But at the same time, Chisora was ahead, and he'd had two points deducted. So you sort of like Dillian White was he. Was that close to being outmatched? Like, not not outmatched. Was that a well-matched fight? Yeah, I think they could fight nine times over the next 36 months and it would end 5-4. Okay, that's interesting. I just think they're two yeah. blokes who, like, they're very well-matched. I'm not saying they're even the same level because I'm sure White has a higher ceiling to his career yeah, than what Chisora does right which now. Which is the confusing thing for me. And maybe if Chisora had had this same impetus mm. um five years ago in his career he would have achieved greater things than what he's achieved yeah. to date yeah yeah agreed yeah um and white's the younger man the fresher man less miles on the clock i think he will go on to achieve more than chisora has achieved in his career but if you just put those two if you ruled out the rest of the heavyweight division and just put those two in the ring with one another nine times in three years it would be five four six three Something like that. I think, yeah. you know, they're very, very well-matched fighters at this stage of their career. Yeah. And maybe one's on the way up and one's on the way down, and that's why it's like that. Or I don't know, but... I, the difficult thing for me was looking at that fight, I, I struggled to see... 
what I think if Chisora had won, I'd have thought, wow, White's got worse. I wouldn't have thought that Chisora, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have thought, wow, that catapults Chisora to world level. Hearn would have told you, would have. <laughs> White winning also didn't tell me a great amount that I felt like I didn't know already. So the problem with Chisora is that he's got those eight losses on his record. So you've got that Caballel mm. loss, you've got Pulev, you've got Hellenius, you've got the two Fury fights, uh, you've got the Klitschko fight, and Hay. Hay and one other that I can't remember. All those things sit in the memory. Like, whether you like it or not, yeah. and I don't hold it against him in any no. way whatsoever, yeah. but they're all there. And especially the manner of that second Fury fight, the one you and I were at. Yeah. Where Fury just peppered him yeah. all night. Just peppered Until him. Until his face just opened his up. His face opened up and he couldn't get off his stool and Don Charles mm. pulled him out. All those memories are still there. Yeah. The Caballel memory is a lot fresher than that. Still there. And so a win over Derek Chisora, for me, doesn't make you a world-level oh, fight. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, over Derek Chisora with it. doesn't yeah, make you a well, yeah, the next in line for a world title, yeah. for me. And that's the problem with it. I suppose if, if someone was coming up, like if Daniel Dubois fought yes. Chisora, you'd think, okay, decent stepping stone. But, Dillian but when White, you're already at that level. Yeah, Dillian White almost looks like on the on the track to stardom, almost like he's turning around to fight Derek Chisora. Or he's just stopped for a bit because yeah. he's already fought him. He's, he's yeah, it's not it's not going to propel him forward any further than we already thought it was anyway. Yeah, and so they're in this weird position with Dillian White that you've got the only world title holders being Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder. Now he's the mandatory for the WBO, so that will get called at some point. He didn't fight the mandatory for the IBF, which was Kubrat Pulev. It was ordered, but he pulled out of it. He didn't fight the mandatory for the WBC, which was Luis Ortiz. It was ordered. White pulled out of it. And so Hearn and many boxing fans around the world keep spinning this narrative that if anyone deserves it, Dillian White deserves it. When actually, the people that deserve it are the ones that fight those final eliminators and win. Like Huey Fury went and fought Pulev. That was the IBF final eliminator. If Huey Fury won that, he was in line to fight Joshua. What's strange is that that WBO one, I'm not sure how he's the mandatory for that because he hasn't fought a final eliminator. He fought Joseph Parker, but that wasn't a final eliminator for it. So I'm not saying based... Because based on records of who has Dillian White beaten of late, Derek Chisora, Lucas Brown, Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora again. That's as solid a record as any other contender out there. So yes, based on that record... He should be there, in line. Yeah. He's in line to fight for a world title. But unless you go down the rule book, which is to fight those final eliminators and win them, then you haven't really got the right to whinge about it. Ooh, well, this would have been... I don't know in what capacity, but this was called a final eliminator for a Joshua fight. Is that a voluntary? A final eliminator for a voluntary? Well, yeah, Hearn mentioned about that WBO. Yeah, he did. <coughs> mandatory last yeah. night, which I say, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you went back, that Parker fight was not a WBO final eliminator. I'm fairly sure. So, yeah. I, I, in essence, that wasn't a final eliminator for anything. 
other than for the April 13th slot or whatever it is for Joshua. Which, so then we move on to the end of the fight um, and we can come back to where the fighters go. Oh, but we come to the end of the fight. <laughs> Derek Jazor, uh, sorry, Dillian White says, give me that lanky shit over there. That was <laughs> brilliant. Which then immediately the commentator decides to provoke my wrath with, I'm sorry for the language, dick. But anyway, um, I'm sure that was the last thing on his uh, list of concerns. AJ then steps to the ring. We, we we talked about it earlier. He's not allowed in the ring. And then he says, let's put things aside. You know, we had a fight in the amateurs. We had a fight before. Yeah, let's- so they're going fist bump, didn't they? Yeah. And then he says... It's quite a conciliatory tone. Was Yeah. But then I kind of felt... I wasn't sure how you read this, but f- for me, I, I kind of understood Dillian White's attitude to, to an extent. Um... AJ was speaking fairly bluntly in the sense that, look, I'm happy to fight you. You've earned it. As you said before, if anyone's earned it, you've earned it. Um, so basically, as long as Wilder and Fury are interested in mate bro, I'll fight you. <laughs> so as long as, basically, as long as Wilder says no, Wilder's top of the list. If he says no, he's going to be fighting Fury anyway. So therefore, I'll, and then Wilder's, and then White's like, nah, nah, not interested in that, mate. You either have me or, and then he walks off and, you know, it's such an awkward position, though, because yeah. White was like, yeah, I'm not putting my career on hold for you. It's like, but where's your career exactly. going if it's not fighting you? <laughs> You've got no other option because Wilder and Fury may or may not go again, but you're not the WBC mandatory, so you can't get to Wilder. Wilder's not going to give you a voluntary. Yeah. What would be the benefit for White to try and fight Fury? I don't think he'd win anyway, but even if he did... You I don't mean, get anything out of it. Yeah, and then and then you're even less of an option for someone like yeah. Given you don't have anything, AJ's going to be even less inclined to fight you if you've just managed to beat Jason Fury. So yeah. So when I'm he was gonna, saying, "I'm not putting my career on hold for you," you've yes, put you your are. career on hold for the last eighteen months. <laughs> yeah. Being blunt about it, you have since you beat Derek Chisora, you've then beaten Lucas Brown <laughs> and Joseph Parker. Uh, Shall I beat? Derek Chisora again? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's not being back to Lucas Brown. It's not having a go at him because those fights that he's been taking are reasonable level fights. It's not like he's dropped down and gone like, oh, take on a David Price. Yeah. He's been continuing a good momentum. But it is on hold because you're not you're not going forward. You're just kind of hanging around the same level. But I suppose that's a consequence of the fact that two guys have all the belts, right? And one of them is only interested in fighting Fury or AJ at this point. I mean, Wilder has no interest in fighting White. Is that right? Unless, uh, given that White is now not uh, a mandatory. Yeah, he doesn't need to fight White. There's no interest in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you go back to the old Klitschko days, where Klitschko held all the titles, he was just fighting his mandatories, going through the mandatory list, one after the other after the other. Dillian White in this scenario wouldn't have had a look-in at all. He's lucky that he get a look-in if he does. But you go back to the Klitschko days, he was just ticking off the mandatory fights because that's all he had time for. But then in that scenario, White had... I mean, to some extent, he's his own worst enemy for not become, making himself a mandatory anyway. Of course. Right? He shouldn't have... He Why shouldn't did have... he pull out of the Ortiz <clears throat> fight? I mean... Because Ortiz is a threat. Yeah. He's a real threat and the money's not great for it. So he didn't take that in the Pulev fight, but took the Joseph Parker fight. Like, and then you get this stuff about, oh, he's not, 
you know, nobody knows who Ortiz is. It's not a big money fight, but Joseph Parker's a big money fight. So you can't have it both ways. You can either have decent money fights like a Jazora, a Parker, or you can go for the world titles and accept less money against an Ortiz or a Pulev. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. Until you're a world champion. Until you're a world champion. But yeah, in the meantime, you've got to accept you're either on this destination to earn all the money you possibly can, or you're accepting less money right now, but working your way Mm. so no one can avoid you. No one can ignore you. I, I I can't believe that a fight against um, Joseph Parker and Dillian White wouldn't have been... that The combined purses of those two fights, maybe even Chucky and Lucas Brown, wouldn't have been trumped by him. And now that it's assumed that he wins, a fight against Ortiz, which then puts him in line for a mandatory <coughs> against... Wilder. Wilder. I mean... Like a, he, he probably wouldn't earn an awful lot for that because he's then going in as... As a mandatory challenger, right, I think okay. it's seventy-five twenty-five. Split right. So at then, that point. but then, let's just say he wins that fight. Yes. At that point, that's the gamble you're taking. Yeah, is yeah, exactly. I'm going to take the smaller end of the chunk at this stage. Yeah. Back myself to assume that I can win that world title, and then I start creaming it in. Yeah. But he hasn't got that. Are they tone deaf to the realities of this, or are they just? hoping that you just ignore it don't you like yeah. why would you talk about that when actually you can say everyone's avoiding me i've not had a world title fight why would you even touch on the actual fact of the matter which is <laughs> you've not fought an eliminator the final eliminator for the world title fight yeah. i'm not putting my career on hold like you don't have a career if it wasn't for me like so, i mean if wilder fights if this over the moment you've got to assume that aj well well he's certainly keeping hold of his belts until his next fight so White has to put his career on hold for AJ, full stop. Yeah. But yet he still stormed off. But if we go back to what we were saying earlier about the theme of, as a boxing fan, I don't care what the bank balance is. I do understand the boxers care about what their bank balance yeah. is. So if I'm Dillian White and I'm told, you know, I can get, say I'm going to get the sum total of £5 million for beating Ortiz and fighting Wilder. Or I'm going to get £5 million just for fighting Joseph Parker. 100% I'm just fighting Joseph Parker. Yeah. I'm not going down that other route if it's me, but I'm not a boxer. Yeah, it also depends on what you're looking for. Like, there comes a point when, whatever, £5 million, there comes a point where your life has changed to the point where, I, I, mean, I don't know, but I can't imagine your life is that drastically different from being a five millionaire to a seven millionaire. Yeah. So once you're set for life, then if you're a boxer and you're still being a boxer, presumably you're doing it for what? Legacy? In that case, surely you need to start concentrating on how you start cementing that legacy. What I found interesting was then, then so then White storms off and then you've got AJ saying to this... <sighs> half a crowd of drunk, <laughs> drunken idiots do you want to see AJ versus White if you can't see Wilder like if you can't right well, in that case I don't want anyone whinging almost like he was that was cringeworthy yeah, like, that like, look frankly look I know this is going to surprise you AJ but that is not everyone in the world in that in that arena right now do you remember now. that Twitter poll he put out <laughs> That one way is like, who do you want my next opponent to be? Wilder, and it was Fury, Wilder, White, wasn't it? Fury, White. And White got like 4% of the votes. <laughs> yeah. That, AJ, that tells you what people's view of it is. And mm. so when it was like, yeah, 
a few hammered people in row Z that hadn't yet left, giving it the yay. He's like, that's it. I don't want to hear any any booing. It was like a WWE, like the bad guy. It shows how much it gets to him. How much. And she kind of called it out. um, Anna Woolhouse. Yeah. She kind of called it. You look a bit. Nah, I'm not angry. I'm just. Because it's a fan friendly sport. That What? That's not what controls your emotions. (laughs) So you can tell that he's a bit conflicted inside. He wants to. He's frustrated. You can see he's very frustrated here. You know, it feels like he's. His hands are tied in some respects. He can't please the fans if he tries to please whatever mechanics are going behind the scene to stop the wilder fight. The commercial responsibilities, because again, we've said it before, if you put Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder in a room and Wilder says to him, here's that 50 million you wanted, sack everybody else on the planet that's you know associated to you, here's 50 million, we're going to fight, Anthony Joshua would take that. No doubt about it. But the fact that 50 million offer came through and he's got all the commercial responsibilities, the contracts to StubHub, the contracts to Sky, the contracts to Matchroom, probably did stop him from being able to take it. From a legal standpoint? From a commercial standpoint. Right, okay. So it was worth more to him to stay where he was. I would suspect so. Like, to be able to get out of, you know, straight away. If the risk is, you know, you're selling your... You're selling yourself to Wilder's team for $50 million for one fight. Yeah. Or 50 million quid, whatever it was. You're doing that. So you're immediately running the risk of Wilder's team are going to auction off the UK broadcast rights for that. So by rights, BT could buy it. And then that means you're not on Sky, but you've probably got a contract somewhere that says your next four fights are going to be on Sky. So you can't give yourself away like that. But again, if you went back to nobody has a contract here, but Wilder and Joshua sat in a room, Wilder says, here's 50 million. Of course Joshua would take it. I've no yeah. doubt Joshua would take it. But he probably can't. And this is probably what comes down to, I mean, he's already said before he wants to be the first billionaire boxer. So he's chasing those long-term gains by making those contracts. It would make sense Or if he he's taken those contracts when he's not in such a strong commercial position. Yeah, which, have, possible. which have long, far-reaching in yeah, terms yeah. of time, ben, uh, time implications. Yeah, you know, like when you're not in the strongest commercial position, you might sign something for the next five, six fights. Yeah. Which after four fights, you're in a brilliant position, but you still can't get out of those <laughs> last two to be able to renegotiate. That's a possibility. And so... What ends up happening is, um, he says, he then makes that declaration to the crowd. Well, you know, I, if, I don't want to hear. And then, and then he repeats that when he's having yeah. that interview. He says, Not I'm bothered about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear people moaning about the f- white fight. He mentioned it, it more than you mentioned the fact you'd paused it. <laughs> yeah. Let's face it. Okay. I am not interested in AJ versus white. Like, and I'd echo a sentiment you've said before, unless he's fighting Fury or Wilder, I don't give a shit, basically. Um, however, if Wilder is fighting Fury, do, would, I, would I like to see AJ in a fight? Well, if it doesn't actually affect the prospects of him fighting the other two, as the previously mentioned guys that I would like him to fight, then yeah. No, I think not? the fact is at that point, you accept he has to fight. Yeah, okay. You accept he has to yeah. fight. And if Wilder and Fury are still tied up for another nine months, yeah. I accept AJ has to fight. Who would I rather see him fight, given that 
for all intents and purposes, Fury and Wilder are out of the equation. White, maybe. Who else? Who else do I think could actually put up some sort of credible opposition to him? Yeah. I, I People even, say Usyk. I would like to say Usyk, but you you want to see him in a heavyweight. Yes, absolutely. First, like Gerald Miller. <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry. That was my other point. Is that what kept fucking me off was the fact they kept saying to him, you know, who are we gonna? Who's that knobhead? Who's who's the the the, the lead commentator? Adam. Uh, Adam Smith. Uh, who are we gonna see next? Are we gonna see him fight Wilder Fury? Could you know? Could we see White or Miller? Stop saying fucking Miller. You might as well say my nan's name. It's not relevant. You keep repeating his name. It could be they're all in the picture. No, you're putting Miller, uh, Jarrell Miller in the picture. He is not fucking relevant. Nobody wants to see him. Right? We're gonna pause here. We got Jarrell Miller with fucking. They cut him twice the- during the yeah, fight. I don't care. You know he was on Soccer AM yesterday as well. No. <laughs> yeah. So Sky are clearly introducing Jarrell Miller to viewers. He's just not. I don't give a fuck. Like, I really, really don't. And then when he gets put on his ass, or or doesn't, but just doesn't put up any sort of performance. Or just left rolling around a ring. Yeah. Like (laughs) a weeble. (laughs) (laughs) They will, but they won't fall down. Yeah, that, I'm not interested in that, funnily enough. And no one is, but I I think, look, if, if I got, if I found out AJ was fighting Jal Miller on Saturday. Fine. But it's the fucking months of Eddie Hearn telling us how much of a threat Jal Miller is. What I want to see... If, what I want to see... <laughs> put AJ back. Put something else on at April <coughs> at Wembley. He has mooted the idea of yeah. that, hasn't he? In the meantime, give me Dillian White, Jarrell Miller. And I'll accept the winner of that versus Fight Joshua. AJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Make that a final eliminator with someone. Yeah. Like <laughs> when Gerald Miller gets exposed by White and you go, aha, I fucking knew it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because what I don't want is Jarrell Miller to keep having these soft touches. They had Thomas Adamek, former cruiserweight, <laughs> way over the hill on the decline. He beats him, and then it's like, that apparently gets you a Joshua fight. <laughs> you, you can't ignore him. You just can't ignore him. Fuck off. Like, Chisora deserves a fight on that basis. Agree. Like, you, so... I want Gashi. <laughs> I want Gashi on April. The thing is, if he fights Jal Miller in April, then, then Hearn will be saying, we can't ignore White. And so then that's two shit fights that, all right. I would, it, White isn't a terrible, terrible fight, but it's in... And the, in the grand scheme of fights that I'm not interested in seeing, there's two of them straight away. So that writes off 2019. I would I mean? love to be the fly on the wall in Dillian White's house if he found out Jerome Miller was fighting AJ. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I would love to have, you know, like Gogglebox. I'd love yeah. to have that when he's watching Sky Sports News and it's announced. <laughs> oh, that would be phenomenal. I can't wait for White Chisora 3. <laughs> I don't know. Where does White go? If... AJ, Wild, I mean, I realise Wilder and Fury aren't really realistic options for either of them, but if those, if those three plus Gerald Miller's taken out of the equation, who the fuck does White fight? <sighs> Gashy. The, the door gets just slapped, unless he fights Usyk. But what's in it for... Again, it's just a tread water fight for White, when it's actually good, he wants to, to it's push a good on. Fight. It's a good fight for both of them, I think. I mean, all right, to, to some extent, if White smashes Usyk, then people go... 
Usyk couldn't step up to heavyweight, kind of. But, you know, I'd like to see it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, yeah no I, would, I wouldn't me, object so. to that fight. I would just be sat there thinking, Didian White, like, what's going on? Yeah, he risks, if he lost to Usyk, he risks kind of really losing everything then, doesn't yeah. he? Like, all that. So he's, yeah. Um, right, so then you get to the point, right, so just quickly then, where does Chizuru go from here? I know we don't. Would really... I be surprised this week if he retired? Not really. Like, hopefully, he made a decent payday out of last night. Again, it's not my priority. The priority is what happened in the ring. But yeah. hopefully, he made enough money that he can retire to the farm with his That's little what girl. You care about, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but if he wants to hang around, he's basically feeder talent, isn't he? Now for a Dubois, for a Gorman, for you yeah. know, he Takam's called him out. Yeah, so he probably he could probably fill 2019. In it would be an fight. enjoyable enough fight with Takam again. I wouldn't object to that as an undercard somewhere or a headline of a fight night. I don't want to see him retire. I think there's enough fights for him still to be in that are enjoyable. Um, I kind of discussed why. Where do you foresee him going next? I, I can't. I don't know. I, I yeah. still think he'll fight Joshua in April. I still think that's a likely outcome. Not the worst fight in the world. I mean, it's not. As I said, I've got no objection to the fact that if Wilder and Fury are tied up, I accept Joshua has to fight. I just, I'm not going to be interested in it particularly. Of course, of course, I'll watch it. Like, there's a a huge gap between not being interested and not watching it. Yeah, I'll still watch. Well, I won't because I'll be at my mate's wedding. But um, (laughs) I won't have the same levels of interest as I would have for the others. Yeah, uh, it's a begrudging watch. I think that's fair. And to be honest, if they hadn't been trying to shove Jal Miller down my throat, good luck. I would be. <laughs> I would you be, know, I don't uh, think any porn star could deep throat Jarrell Miller. I'd be thinking to myself, well, White's a natural opponent, but if Hearn, if like you said or suggested, if Hearn matches AJ and Jal Miller in April, he risks really fucking off White. I don't know what White can do in retaliation, frankly. Also, you but... risk pissing off the fans because yeah. like, there seems to be a a tide turning against Joshua a little bit in yeah. that people are becoming a bit more frustrated, a bit more educated. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I'll say it now. I think Jarrell Miller is the biggest fraud in boxing. I do not think... Charles Martin? He was a world champion. The biggest current fraud in boxing. <laughs> I do not think he is a world-level fighter. I think... He's got a decent enough work rate for a fucking warehouse of a man. (laughs) Um, Warehouse. But I don't think there's anything else about him. I think as soon as he fights somebody... There's a reason that they've kept him so protected. As soon as he fights somebody of a decent level, he's getting just smashed to pieces. He's a fraud. There's a part of me that would like to see that, but not at the expense of a fight that matters. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Make it a final eliminator. Yeah. Um, right, Frampton Warrington. This was the one I watched. Um, and then as the rounds ended, there was like twenty seconds to flick over onto uh, White Chisora, which then meant because it's the last twenty seconds of the round every time, all I ever saw was White and Chisora just hugging each other <laughs> for the majority. <laughs> I've not gone back to rewatch the whole fight yet. Um, so yeah, and that was the other thing. Actually, quickly finish on White Chisora. The end of round four, you had Joshua talking about like, 
or you know they're really struggling to get the air in now the lactic acid's building up they're really they're looking to hold on a bit <laughs> round four what he kept saying which was irritating is these two world level fighters they are showing you know absolute they are ri- he's the propaganda machine of right. matchroom those two fighters I enjoyed that fight no doubt but even the most ardent fan of either boxer cannot tell me that any part of last night was demonstration of the sweet science. It was two sloggers trying to batter absolutely Punching truck. holes in one another. Yeah, it was like two guys driving two wrecking ball machines at each other and then trying to knock each other out the also, cap. Also, if you're using doing. the word world level, how many world titles have they won between them? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> how many world titles have they fought for between one. them? Like you can't use the word world level on people that aren't yet world level. They're not at Charles Martin level. They're not at Joe Parker's level. Do you know what I mean? You know, these, <laughs> these are... <laughs> um, um, so yeah, Frampton Warrington. Yeah. So this one I watched. I just... I've, I can't remember the last fight that I've got off my seat for at home. And like the first two rounds of this fight had me off my seat. You know, when you're like you're watching something. Can like, I just ask? Sorry to interrupt you. Did you have a did you have a, a preference of who you wanted to win? Um, I've never been a fan of Warrington, but that mm. Selby fight made me more of a fan. Right. Then I was meant to interview Josh Warrington. And it fell through, so that made me less of a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've always liked Carl Frampton, just as a person. Yeah. Like as a boxer, yeah, he's, he's really good. But as a person, he always yeah. seems like a a decent guy. So for probably less educated reasons, I felt the same way. But yeah, you've only just reinforced those opinions like to some extent. Yeah. And I really the thing is I want to like Warrington, but I don't. I have nothing against Warrington. Yeah, just, yeah I don't either, really. I just don't like his face. <laughs> you said this so often. No, his face is just like one of those dickheads, you know. And what? Yeah, wow. But you do like it does though. Like I, I'm sure that's offensive, and I'm sure if someone said that to me. But if they then explain, like, look, sorry, I've got no reason to base this up. Almost a bit like in the film Step Brothers. Like, I just want to punch you in the face. I'm sorry. Oh, good luck. Is there any? Go on, go on then. If there's anything, if there's anything, is there anything I can do to change that? No, I just go. I like. I'm not going to try, but at the same time, you know, that, I'm sorry. That's just how. I do feel. you watch Red Dwarf? Uh, no, I've really. never really watched it, but you know, there's a robot in Red Dwarf. Yeah, Josh Warrington's face always reminds me of him <laughs> for some reason. It's like it's in squares that, like, I can't remember what. Everyone listening to this will probably know. But I, I don't watch Red name. Dwarf particularly, but every time I see no. Warrington's face, it just reminds me of him. Anyway, first two rounds Sorry, of that yeah. fight, I cannot remember the last time I've watched a fight, and I've just like, I've literally been on the edge of my seat or like got up a little bit as it's going on. Because it was a total surprise. And like the in narrative as as- the narrative going into the fight was always that Frampton holds the power, Warrington has the work rate. If Frampton can assert the power, then it might slow the work rate. And so they go out in the first round. It, it starts a bit tentatively. Halfway through the round, Frampton starts to unload on Warrington. And then Warrington stands there. Like, the assumption would be, because Warrington's got incredibly underrated footwork, he can get in and out of position so cleverly, so cleverly. But he doesn't. He chooses to wait until Frampton throws and then throws with him and keep throwing with him. Rather than, like, throwing two or three shots, 
he'll stand there and throw six or seven shots. And given Just that trading, yes, and given that the the theory beforehand is that Frampton holds the power, and so if he can assert that, but Warrington, it's like watching a boxer in fast forward. The speed of his hands that he was throwing with, it was probably, I've not slowed it down to watch it, but you would probably guess he was maybe landing four to the three of Frampton, the speed difference. Okay. And they were just stood, just fucking throwing. <laughs> and it seemed to calm Frampton down and like... Well, he said post-fight, he get, has a lot more power than people give him credit for. Yeah, so it's almost as if Frampton realised first round... Wow. Fuck. He can actually hurt Yeah, me. like, because he hasn't got... I think he's got six stoppages in 26 fights, Warrington. So he's clearly not a one-punch knockout artist. But... Or wasn't. Well, he still... He didn't stop Yeah, Frampton, okay, but, yeah, yeah, I accept that. Um, but he could be Those flurries, those it. flurries were... And I say, the fact that he was willing to stand there and not yeah. move out, but actually willing to... Weird how, just based on what you've said how he's willing to take that gamble straight away. But I think that is a very conscious move. Sean O'Hagan, his dad, his trainer, again, like as much as I'm saying the footwork is underrated, I think when you look back at the Selby fight and how he disrupted the pattern of the fight and beat Selby in a fight that he was an underdog, he disrupted Frampton early on. Like, yeah. he's disrupted those pulses of Frampton to be able to stand in the pocket. That's clearly what the game plan is. Yeah is to be able to slow Warrington down early, make him think twice. But Warrington went, nah. Nah, I'll stand there with you and I'll throw and I can throw quicker than you. I may not throw harder than you, but I can throw quicker than you. Yeah. And that stunned Frampton. And so at that point, plan A's out the window because the second round comes out and they do it again and they stand. <laughs> and at the end of the second round, we'll come back to it in a sec, but at the end of the second round... Jamie Moore in the corner is like, why are you fucking trading with him? Like, what were you doing? <laughs> like, gives him a right bollocking, gives Frampton his right bollocking of like, what are you doing? Like, we've worked out this doesn't work. So why are you standing there doing it again? Frampton, I, I don't know. And it's almost at that point, you're like, right, you've had Rocky Fielding, you've had Martin Murray, and now you've got Carl Frampton. What I said earlier about Jamie Moore having those three fighters in career-defining fights over the course of seven days, this is what I meant, is that have you been able to give Carl Frampton that attention to detail that he required at the end of the second round to say, if plan A hasn't worked, now you've got to start planning. Now you've got to do this. Now you've got to... Have you really been able to do that as a head trainer? But, it, but that speech there suggests that they already have gone through that, and he's in, he doesn't know why he's trading or are you saying that he hasn't drilled it into him enough no he didn't give an alternative or uh, if he did he didn't get picked up on mike right, okay but it was almost like look trading isn't working uh <laughs> ding ding <laughs> <laughs> bye and this was what this was what alarmed me about it and when you start thinking back to yeah as a head trainer he's done a fantastic job jamie moore over the last 12 months fantastic bringing frampton back but you've got a question whether those seven days have taken something away from each of the fighters individually. Hmm. I think it maybe did. But Josh Warrington, that second round, he rocked Frampton, like, to the boots. Wow. And you could see Frampton... You know when a fighter, like, is stunned almost? Yeah. 
And so their feet aren't moving. You can, you're just waiting, aren't you, as a spectator? You're waiting for that last You're blow. waiting for the one that would put Frampton over. Yeah. And all credit to him that he didn't because he should have. By rights, he should have because his legs were almost like frozen to the spot. But he was kind of, by instinct alone, I suspect, holding on to Warrington. Because Warrington, again, was happy to stand there and just throw, 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 quicker, I don't know if harder or faster or stronger, whatever it was, than Frampton was able to there do. Was, there was talk beforehand that Frampton was on the wane. Um, where's that come from? I don't know, to be fair. like it, it seems to have happened ever since the second Leo Santa Cruz fight, the one that he lost, and he'd moved up to featherweight. People seem to have this impression that he's on the wane. Not based necessarily upon... Well, I suppose you could say performance is a bit... I'm trying to think of the names of the fighters he's had since. They don't stand out. But the Luke Jackson fight in his last one um, in the stadium, that was an okay... That was a good performance. Um, yeah, so I think it's harsh to say he was on the... It's harsh to discredit Warrington by saying Frampton was on the wane because people could discredit Lee Selby saying he was weight-drained. He was... You know, he had nothing in his system to be able to fight Warrington. I don't think people should discredit Frampton to take it away from Warrington. If you watch what Warrington was doing, he was stepping forward to his right. Every time he'd throw punches, he'd step forward to his right, which was effectively blocking the left hand of Frampton from having any effective movements. Which was, again, like a little detailed that you'd suspect him and Sean O'Hagan have have planned based upon what because you, you know what Frampton's like he works with that left hand down low and he's got quite a popping jab and you've seen it quite like he keeps the right hand up around the jaw but he's happy to at distance let that left hand just drop his around main form of attack yeah and he'll either throw a lead hook with it or he'll jab with it he just leaves it down and so Warrington was just stepping to the right and making that left hand ineffective. It was a clever little nuance of what he was doing, which, again, <laughs> that's the attention to detail. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I, I feel bad. I'm not having a pop at Jamie Moore at all, but what I am doing is praising Shauna Hagen for, and Josh Warrington for implementing it. Yeah. Um, and I think those, those first two rounds, I think that, those first two rounds just stopped Carl Frampton from being able to win that fight. Because I think... So, so I'm assuming that Josh Warrington then wins the first two rounds. 100%. They're almost 10-8 rounds, the second wow. round, without a knockdown. It's like... You wouldn't say it was, but it's not It's not a million miles yeah. off of being that. Um, so, because he hurts Frampton so badly. So then you move into round three, and what has changed at this so, point? Frampton starts to... You'd probably say round three was equal. Warrington takes a step off a bit. He's not going on the attack. He's not looking to trade. Round four is probably a Frampton round. The difference is that Frampton, as the fight progresses through five, six, seven, you can see he's, his engine's emptying. Warrington's still there. Warrington's still got this work rate. Doesn't necessarily hold the power but has this work rate that he'll just buzz around you and like he's still he's still um, effectively going around the ring he's still in and out 
He's still, when he's in, he's throwing shots. He's throwing decent shots. He's tagging Frampton, marking Frampton up. And then he's back off again. Um, but the other thing to note, the chin of Warrington. When he was getting hit in those first two rounds, doesn't affect him. Just stands there. As he's getting hit through the fight, nothing seems to affect Nothing makes him take a step back. When he's in there and he's happy to trade... Like, I don't know how you hurt him. It's, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but, yeah. So, uh, his work rate through the 12 rounds was exceptional. Like, so good. And I genuinely think those first two rounds, it's almost like um, a little mini heart attack to Frampton that you can't come back from. You know when a heart attack is effectively just a... A disruption of the pulse. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what it was to Frampton. Mm. Is that his pulse was affected through those first two rounds? Although he started to have his own way a little bit, there was so much damage done. Maybe the confidence had gone. Yeah. The game plan had to go out the window. Totally kicks his rhythm out. His rhythm's yeah. gone. All those things that he then has to take two or three rounds to refind. Whereas Warrington can take two or three rounds to recharge, and then comes back in happily in the fifth, sixth, seventh round onwards. To a wide, comprehensive, unquestionable points victory. Um, what, what was the final score? Like one sixteen, one twelve. I, I don't know. Was it was it wide? Yeah, it was unanimous. Right. I think. Yeah, fairly sure. Um, wow. By this point, I was flick. I was so confident in the fact Warrington had won. I flicked over to yeah. Zora White. So. I'm not entirely sure. Okay, um, so, there, uh, so the consequences of that fight, what does what does that do? That clearly increases Warrington's stock. I think it has to clear the question marks over Warrington. Like, people would still have the question marks after Selby by discrediting Selby and saying he was drained of the waves, this, that, and the other. I, I, I'm not comfortable with anyone discrediting Frampton for that. And so I think you've got to say Warrington is up there as one of the best featherweights in the world. You want to see an Oscar Valdez fight. That would be... What Who's I'd... he likely to fight next? I don't know. I don't know, if I'm honest. Oscar Valdez could happen, or...? Could happen. I know he's been out injured quite a while since the Quig fight. Quig? Wouldn't mind a Quig fight. Two lads that don't wallop, but have both got good work rates. I'm okay with that, if that was the next defence. Keep it British, keep it interesting. I'm okay with that. Um... What I don't want to see is the milk the title. What just and just picking out the number nine from the WBO or something, but Kyrgyzstan, <clears throat> wherever. Yeah, like now that he's at, he's got that momentum and he's got those impressive wins because not many fighters are going to have better wins than Lee Selby and Carl Frampton in a twelve month space. Now he's got those. Keep that momentum going. Like Josh Warrington would have made a lot of fans last night. And I hope they can keep building that. He's already got a lot of fans. Leeds is, you know, his hometown and they're behind him. I hope he can keep that going. Uh, Frampton? What does Frampton do next? There's talk of him retiring if he lost. I hope he doesn't because he was still, he was outclassed by the end and outworked, which I don't think many people would have predicted before. Some will, but not many. Um, He's still got a place within the featherweight seen go back and fight Santa Cruz let's have the trilogy of that um okay 
Right, quick question from LPC123. Has AJ's reputation ever been any lower amongst true boxing fans, ignoring commercial casual fans? It appears, hey, not less, of, less of the ignorance there. We're, we're, we're just as important, yeah? Um, ignoring <laughs> the commercial casual fans. It appears that his reputation is in the gutter. Is this down to the Hearn family? I mean, we kind of touched on this earlier in terms of like the way that fans are starting to turn on it. Um, has it ever been lower amongst boxers? I suppose you could argue that when they didn't know who he was, his reputation wasn't any higher <laughs> than it's. But I, I would have said there's not quite this plastic, impenetrable sheen that that always seemed to be with Joshua. Like literally, he could do nothing wrong. He could fight some numpty and somebody say, "Well, you know, he's only had 16 fights. He needs to learn still, or whatever." It doesn't seem to be quite that bulletproof bulletproof element to him and I think that's because people are starting to see that fear well they, they've seen the Fury and Wilder fight and seen how epic it was and how much of an impact it's made and they want to see Joshua start fighting people of consequence I actually think the same can be said for Hearn um, Hearn used okay. to be bulletproof you now look at any IFL interview with Hearn it used to be like 5,000 thumbs up 10 thumbs down it's now 50-50 like I think people are getting a little bit bored and they can kind of see through some of the the bullshit that we get fed as fans. And there's only so much of that that you can keep doing before people get educated. So it used to, I'm not saying we're the most educated, we're the most woke people about it, but we're the ones that would question it, as would other people. Other people will question it as well, and that's brilliant. Good on them. Yeah. The more people that question it and are holding it to account with the aim of getting a better end product, the better. I, I have a theory on this in, in as much as, and I'd like this to be the case more so than I have any evidence to back it up, is that Hearn's done a really good job in promoting the sport of boxing. Fantastic. Right? And it has, it has probably, in the last five years, brought quite a few people into the sport. And be, th- those people perhaps watch IFL interviews, amongst other things. I assume, therefore, that being that Eddie Hearn brought them in, they then look to him for their information. And in the first couple of years, and it takes you a few years to get un- to understanding boxing because it's not like something like football, rugby, those prominent sports in the media, you actually have to dig a bit, that it takes you a while to really understand, not necessarily being told exactly what's going on. And you have to see past some certain things. On that assumption, those the pe- those people are now coming into sort of like their fifth, fourth, or third year in as in the sports fandom sort of thing, and they're starting to go. Well, wait a minute, he told me this, and I saw this happen. And then when this happened, he told me that he told me this. When actually he told me this, and they, and you can't keep contradicting yourself or not backing up what you've said, and then not be consequences. Now that might. And those, they're though, therefore, those fans are now turning around and going, "Hold on a minute," and therefore holding to account with, you know, without wishing to copy your your penchant for football analogies. Um, <laughs> if you're a football fan, because that's who it's kind of aimed at, really. That's who Hearn's aimed his product yeah. at. It's the crossover sports fan. Yeah, look at it with the darts as well. It's, it's a great business model. I'm not criticising it. It's great. If you're a football fan, you're used to. If you want to know who's the best football team probably in the world, you look at the Premier League 
and the Champions League and La Liga, right? And you're going to get the truth out of that. Hmm. The winner of the Champions League, specifically. But outside of that, you've got that homegrown interest in the Premier League. That's the two points of truth you go to. As an English fan. As an English fan, yes. If you're Spanish, you're going to look at La Liga and the Champions League and say that's... With an awareness to the Premier League. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're drawing that fan in, the English football fan, which he's done brilliantly, and you're feeding them, Anthony Joshua is the world champ, the heavyweight world champion. Yeah. There is no other world... Like, that's the man (laughs) you've got to fucking pay attention to. He's got four world titles, for God's sake. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, IBO matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Lineal? What's a lineal? Who cares about that? That's only people with transformer duvets. Yeah, but the IBO. Now that's the belt. Yeah, exactly. So you draw that fan in and you tell them that Joshua is the man, the only heavyweight worth caring about. And then Fury comes back. And Fury, ah, he's only fighting shit, like he's pointless. And then he fights this American Wilder, who you've pissed on his career, Wilders, for however long. And then they have that phenomenal fight. And suddenly all these people are now, you know, they were aware of Fury, but he's been out of the way, so you can kind of ignore that. Yeah. But he's come back. And he's had that fight with Wilder, and they've been deemed equal. Yeah, and, and they, it wasn't just a pair of idiots throwing punches at each other. It was a highly technical, you know, brilliant bout. From one side. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but it was a highly technical, brilliant bout and a fucking power phenomenon on the other side. Yeah, and and, and as it turns out, entertainment up to 11. Yes. And so you've spent all those years, those fury-free years, being able to just piss on Wilder's career and tell us he's only got that belt. But Wilder's got the majority. But then Fury's come back and done that, and I think people were suddenly now... So hold on. What, what, why, so why isn't AJ fighting Wilder or Fury? Well, you see, percentages and... Yeah, so all those people that you've, you've groomed into a position of fandom that will turn up at Wembley now care about Wilder and now care about him and Fury. Yeah, yeah. well, don't you worry because because your champions were were fuck all. Isn't that right, Eddie? We're going to see him fight AJ in Wembley, won't we, Eddie? Well, you see... (laughs) Jarrell Miller was on Soccer AM, so that's what people want to see. But that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, I'm on board with that. Like I say, I kind of hope that's the case more so than I'm 100% confident that it is the case. But based on some of what you're getting now, the fact that, um, like you say about certain IFL interviews, is a reasonable indication. The fact It is. That, I'm not saying it's a hard and fast. Yeah. Because you can manipulate in some way if you really care. Yeah. Uh, but, you, but it's but a good indication. Given how rattled Joshua looked, not about, you know, who was fighting next, not about anything to do with Wilder Fury. It was about how the fans are perceiving him. Yeah. That was what most got up his nose that night. And you think, okay, so you're obviously, you obviously know that there's a sensitivity towards it and you know that your legacy is potentially on the line here going forward. And once a few years go past where you're not doing what the fans want you to do, that will tarnish. Like, let's just say if 
for for whatever reason, Fury fell off the wagon again, and Wilder had to retire with injury in this time next year, and he hasn't fought either of them. Then that that will be said that he dodged them until they got out of the picture, potentially for the rest of his career, and he's starting. Clearly, he's seen that, and clearly, like you've said, I and I agree with that he wants to fight them, but. There's pressure coming in now from people who matter, the fans, the guys who pays the bills, to start making this happen. And you can see that the pressure's getting to AJ. And maybe right, maybe it's getting to maybe it's getting to Eddie as well. So hopefully, and it will start have fucking happening. Um, right, we don't have many more questions. So the only Didn't other we have one from Riku. The, yeah, well, that's the only other uh, we've got okay. left, which is um, this is in reference to. The PBC to the UK, I believe. Yes. Um, what will Heyman's... So this is to do with the PBC... Um, who is it that exactly has signed a deal with free-to-air boxing on ITV? Is that correct? Yeah. Do you want me to explain... Yes. Start off with explaining what it is. Yeah, before I ask Al the Al Heyman, the name that we all know in America. None of us know what he looks like, particularly. He's this mythical being in America. Like Zeus. The, in a way. <laughs> Not that I'm calling... Well, I am calling him a god by definition, but... Really <laughs> odd comparison. Go back <laughs> to football like, analogies. It's like this mythical... Anyway, yeah. So, Al Hamer... We're two hours in. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> who's the guy that you know, seems to have uh, now raised, they reckoned, a billion dollars in America for his... From the networks... Convenient, their matches the same Mount Hearn had. <laughs> no idea. So but it's a business model that's working. So how it worked was he got loads of funding in the first place through private equity, private banking, to buy airtime on uh, Fox Sports, on Showtime, wherever else. Right. Buy airtime, and then put his products onto that airtime, and then what people assumed was going to be the case was that he would then turn that into pay-per-view models in America and then recoup the money that way. But... Hasn't really happened. But they haven't had any breakout pay-per-view stars. The only one they've got in America is Canelo, who's now gone on to DAZN. Um, But instead, what they've done is they've managed to put on the product that the networks want to pay for and will invest in. So they reckon the deals that he signed with Fox Sport. Showtime, can't remember who else, are worth a billion dollars. Like, they've given him a billion dollars to have Premier Boxing Champions on their channels, which is great. Like, imagine Sky Sports put a billion pounds, 500 million pounds, into the matchroom boxing budget. Imagine that. We'd actually get some decent fight nights. Yeah. That'd be incredible. And that then, to boot, they were not pay-per-view fights when well, it came we'd out. we still accept the massive ones are pay-per-view, but yeah. you can give us a better standard of normal yeah. one. So that's the model in America. So now Al Heyman has paired up with ITV Sports um, to bring PBC over here. So I think there were 16 fight dates, maybe, that they're committing to. I can't remember exactly what it is, because a while back a week or so back that it was announced so they're going to be putting on shows in the UK and they're going to be showing some of the US stuff 
over here. So it's announced today two fights. So there's um, Caleb Plant versus Ustakai, which is the World Middleweight Championship. I think something like that. Better than that, there's Pacquiao Brona is going to be shown over here, which okay. is a pay-per-view in America. They're going to show it on ITV4 for free over here. Okay. Um, cracking little fight. You can get on board with that all day long. All day long. If you want to give me for free Pacquiao Brona, yeah. granted it's at whatever time in the morning, but hopefully, presumably, they'll be running reruns on ITV4. Or you can record it. Or you can record it. Cool. I'm absolutely fine. That's brilliant. Yeah. Whether that stays, don't know. But that's the advantage to having Al Heyman give us his American product in the same way that Top Rank and um, Frank Warren seem to have this mutual agreement so the Warren cards go on to ESPN or ESPN Plus in America and Box Nation get the... uh, or BT Sport um, get the Top Rank Bob Arum cards over here. So if Al Heyman's just doing that himself, he... He can provide the um, the PBC shows for free onto ITV here. There's nothing to dislike about that. Yeah. Free is the optimum word. You know, as long as you're not going to start charging us for it. Um. So yeah, that's how they're kicking it off in January. Is Ustagai Plant and Pacquiao Brona. Now the product they're going to produce over here is still unclear. We don't really know what it's going to be. What it has been announced today oh, is wow. that it's one promoter that they're working with so they're not going to like franchise it out it's going to be pox and sports um so yeah richard poxon who you know terry is his biggest fan um and well outspoken as well (laughs) is their sole promoter over in the uk most for me from an outside perspective and i have no deeper knowledge but Straight away, the most important thing to register out of that for me is that it's not Hearn, it's not Warren. I.e., there's a third, now, big player in the UK. Not only is he just another promoter, because there's plenty of those in the UK, but now he's backed by basically a juggernaut. He's a promoter with a platform and a budget. Yeah. And you suspect, like, this isn't disrespectful to Richard Poxon, you suspect he's kind of hired as a guy with a promotional license. And like, because Al Heyman does that in America. He has, he isn't a promoter necessarily or a manager. He's this kind of advisory role that was mentioned earlier in a question. He almost franchises out the promotional duties to other people. Um, Warriors promotions, one that sticks out. So he provides the product he probably says i want this fight and this fight and this fight and this fight on that platform with this promoter bang do it he's probably doing all that in the background you suspect it'll work like that over here like he's not a promoter in the uk al Heyman, but if he's partnered up with richard poxon richard poxon becomes a promoter or poxon sports sorry become the promoter um and al Heyman becomes the advisor to the promoter. There you go. <laughs> to go full circle. Um, and then well, you've got ITV on board. You've got ITV. Like, if they do this properly, God willing they do it properly, it creates a <laughs> juggernaut. Like, when they went before with it... Why ITV4? Does it... Does it? Well, first of all, does it matter? Does it matter? You. It's going to be on at, like, 
what, three, four o'clock in the morning? So I don't think just, it matters what channel it's on, really. Yeah, does it just it? seems odd. Like, if you're going to have that, why don't you just stick it on ITV? Like, I, I, I just like to get almost like when you're sticking it on one of your backwater channels anyway, it kind of doesn't give it the gravitas that, you know, I realize it's largely relevant in the grand scheme of things, but from uh, uh, um, how people, how it's viewed perspective, like putting it on ITV one, it's kind of like, bang, here we go. It makes it like they're taking it more seriously. Yeah, I guess is what um, I get at. Yeah, I kind of get what you mean. I don't know. Um, but yeah, but sorry, look, if, God if willing, they, they do it right. If they build a proper UK product. <laughs> you don't want to see it flop after a year and you're like, fuck, that was such a good opportunity. What will be interesting to see is who do they sign? Who do they get in to be part of the product? So you need some recognisable names. The rumour, the strong rumour for a long while is it is going to be James DeGale versus Chris Eubank to kick it off as like the UK leg of kicking it off. Well, actually, yeah. So um, Riku asks, what will, Stra- uh, what will Heyman's strategy be and who will want to sign to make headway in the British market in 2019? Chris Eubank's a good shout because um, he kind of like floats around basically taking the best offer that's available to him, doesn't he? Rather He's already than... been on ITV. Yeah. You might suspect that was maybe linked to Al Heyman already. Maybe. Um, you've got Joe Joyce signed to PBC, who we mentioned earlier. Lee Selby has been linked to Heyman in the past. Frampton has just signed a new promotional contract with Warren, but he'd been with PBC in the past. Um, you've got to look at it. If you're at Matchroom, I was having this conversation the other day. It'll be interesting to see what Matchroom do with that old guard of fighters that they've got. Well, which goes on to Riku's second question, which is, with Matchroom's uh, ageing stable, what matchups can Hearn do to fill his pay-per-view quota for 2019? And I'm assuming what you're getting at is in response to to, to the hanging. No, no. So we'll, we'll cover Riku's in a sec. We'll oh, okay. All right. If I'm Hearn, I'm looking at it as a threat. ITV yeah. as a threat. Because if they took some of my bigger names... That's a threat. So if they took a Brook Crawler, um, I'm trying to think of some of the older guys, Campbell, the ones that are kind of edging towards the end of their career. Not Callum Smith, because he's still primed. Um, But let's go with Crawler, Brook, Campbell. I can't give you any better names. Well, we'll go with those three, right? (laughs) Let's not put too many in. Okay. Crawler, Brook, Campbell. And the McDonnell brothers, Gavin and Jamie. If you could nab those five over to ITV, you've got some familiarity already with boxing fans and with the general public might know who a Kel Brook is, perhaps, or an Anthony Crawler. Matchroom don't have fighters on long-term contracts. So these lads have probably got one or two fights left on their contracts. So what do you do with those? Do you give them longer contracts, but they're older lads? Or you've got the zone in America that you're trying to build. And we've seen that a lot of matchroom lads have been put over there in hard fights. Gavin McDonald went over there. He lost. Callum Johnson went over there. 
He lost. Rocky Fielding went over there. He lost. All of them in hard matchups. Baturbiev, um, Canelo. If I'm Hearn, I would be putting all those older lads, the recognisable names, onto the zone cards in incredibly hardly fought or matched fights. If they win, great. You try and convince them to stay. But if they lose, you've kind of tarnished their record a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, if if Brook took a loss now, he's not worth as much as as he could be. Because that Khan fight's not going to happen. Khan's going to fight Crawford. I'm 99% sure. And so okay. they've got to do something with Brook. So put him over in America in a fight that he's unlikely to win. So that he's damaged goods. He's damaged goods. And then, so what if he goes to ITV? Because you can just say, well, I never wanted him anyway. After that loss, he was done. That's what I would do if I was in charge of it. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how you how you manipulate the stable. Okay, so or what uh, you do with it. So uh, on Riku's point, then, what does Eddie do it to or Matchroom do to respond to this? Well, say he's got to make what seven seven pay per views per year, six. And if we assume that, just I, I realize it's a big assumption, but I think it's a pretty accurate one in that. If he goes full guns and tries to make super duper fights and all these fighters that he's got in his stable and makes them all look great, he risks losing them to ITV. Yes. And, and you don't want to overbuild people. Yeah, in the process. So the only people he's theoretically going to make better are those that he's got access to over the next few fights. Yeah. So yeah. What, who's he got and what does he do with it? What? I mean, well, the, the danger, like when he's talking about the pay-per-view quota, I don't know what it is. It may be between... He says five, average of five fights per year. I think it's more than that. I might be wrong, but if you put AJ White together, then that's two of your pay-per-view stars. Yeah. And the one that loses, if it's White, is going to be difficult to justify as a pay-per-view star after that. So maybe you actually want to keep those two separated because he seems to have established White, rightly or wrongly, as a pay-per-view fighter right now. His last two fights have been on pay-per-views without world titles on the line. So he somehow turned White into this pay-per-view fighter. AJ, we accept, is. And so if you can get two fights out of AJ, two fights out of White, that's four covered off already. Throw in a Callum Smith against a decent level super middleweight. That's five. And then you've just got a... You're of... already scraping the barrel. And frankly, are you going to... Uh, are people going to accept two more fights from White? Who are they going to... If he's not fighting AJ? If you said White Ortiz... <sighs> two AJ fights. I don't know. Say it's Miller and Parker again. <laughs> I'm just saying, hypothetically, like, go no, with no, it. Sorry, I go with it, but it's just depressing to listen yes. to. Yeah, go on. I agree. <laughs> Miller Parker, yeah. White, Ortiz, and... Usyk. Usyk. Right. That's four pay-per-views covered. Callum Smith, Golovkin, that's five. You've then just got to rustle up one other out of everything else that you've got. You should be able to do that somehow, even if it's like the stack card method. You should be able to do it. Gassiev, Billy Joe Saunders. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think there's... What's more interesting is do you overbuild or do you throw under the bus the the rest of the stable with ITV in mind? That Do you want to build your own lads or do you want to 
you know, not risk building them too much and letting Al Heyman cash in on their, their benefit. But it's important to then sort of come back to something that we spoke about a few weeks ago before this came out, which was in reaching beyond his front garden, Hearns left the back door open. Yes. <laughs> and Said it all along. And uh, yeah, and, and so now there's a third player in the UK market, which you're right, was a perfect um, opportunity for someone to come in whilst Hearns... Almost like Heyman's gone. Well, if you can come to the US, I yeah. can go to the UK. And it c- and don't forget, Heyman has a far bigger stable. Now the problem is that you don't want to ship loads of Americans over here because they don't sell in the UK immediately. They might do after twelve months, but you know, if you said a Charlo, although one of them lost last night, or a Jarrett Hurd, they don't necessarily sell unless they're fighting Billy Joe Saunders or Kel Brook. Well, I tell you, there's one. I mean, look, I don't know the the complexities involved in all this, but there's one surefire way to start getting people interested in fighters, and that's to put them on terrestrial TV, which you don't have a lot of in the UK, for free. So if this you, was if you marketed this properly and said you could even market it, and there's been stranger things have happened. You could market it as, you know, I get up. Uh, I get up on a Sunday and I watch last night's boxing on ITV and it's free. Bang. And he, and he, it's like record it and I watch it in the morning and it's American stuff. Once you, you've done that sort of four times in a year and those names are household names, suddenly you've got people who are interested in this stable. I mean, I realize that's a bit of going out, on a, but it's, some, it's what I'm getting at. It's possible. There's so much potential, especially yeah. if you're a domestic fighter and you sign to ITV Look at all the avenues you could take. Like that Piers Morgan show, Good Morning Britain or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine you can start feeding boxers into that. All the different ways that you can present boxers. Just as Dillian White was on the darts last week on Sky, think of that platform ITV have got. If you can find ways to feed in the shoulder programming as well. So the documentary behind the scenes stuff about boxers... That, if you can get that right, alongside feeding boxing and boxers into the mainstream programming, you've got the potential for a juggernaut. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and speaking as uh, I've gone for it before, I, I've never, I didn't have a massive uh, boxing education growing up. But one memory I do have, a fond memories of, is, and I couldn't even tell you who was boxing, but on a Saturday night when I was at my grandparents as a kid. We'd get hot chocolate. Um, all me, my sisters, uh, not so much my younger sister because she weren't there, but me and my sister would sit down with my granddad and nan and we'd watch boxing. Yeah. And then, you know, it was, it was something that was on. We knew on a Saturday night, it was Saturday fight night on ITV and we'd watch it. And that was just a part of until it disappeared off terrestrial TV. And that's a throwback to the old Ben Newbank days. And that was on free ITV. Yeah. And it has the potential to... And you look at... If you look at something like the X Factor model, it was something like that... I remember hearing at one point, ITV alone made $180 in one year just purely from the phone calls they made to X Factor. $180 We should be allowed to phone in the end of rounds. (laughs) Who won that round? (laughs) Yeah, but... Text. I mean... You've got all kinds of possibilities. They do it. For, they used to do it for the Champions League, didn't they? Like you win a holiday for this, or you know, there's, there's, there is. As soon as you've got the numbers in terms of the viewership, yes. there are 
myriad of options in order to monetize that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm really hopeful that something happens like that because as soon as it gains momentum, yeah, Hearn's got to really start digging in and start. Well, not it doesn't matter who brings it up, but you start getting better quality, a better standard of. All you want is everybody to raise their standard on the back of it. That's right. I don't want match room to go under. I want match room to improve. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I don't. Well. If Matchroom go under and so does say Warren because of it, you're stuck with the same problem because somebody, one person controls everything. Yeah. You need, you know, you don't want, you don't want a monopoly. That's the, that's enough said, isn't it? Um, oh, I don't can think we give in? I'm fucked. <laughs> I am too. My voice is going again. My eyes. I need to go home. The light. Are just it's nearly Christmas. Burn out. It is. Uh, that's the longest two-man show I think we've ever done what have we done two 243 wowzers I feel like Christmas has gone I've missed it (laughs) go downstairs um happy 2019 just some fat dude in a red suit what's going on here (laughs) Jarrell Miller (laughs) thank you very much for listening I hope you've enjoyed the uh two-man show I hope you've enjoyed 2018 We've had highs, we've had lows. Thank you for your support all the way through it. Yes, thank you very much. Um, in terms of a live show, we'll be uh, we'll be unveiling our sixteen location live show agenda. For- <laughs> we'll, we'll unveil it in January, cancel it in February. Yeah. <laughs> I saw his mug last night on the TV. I was like, Jake Woody had to yes, stop. You fucking know. Wow, um, <laughs> it's got vitriol. I don't yeah. care about him. Good no, on him. Good I, on him. Yeah, I don't either, I suppose. <laughs> just don't try and make a quick quit out of the sport. It's yeah. horrendous. Okay, um, looking at, just to uh, give you guys some idea, we won't be doing next Sunday. Well, I'm, I'm signing f- off because I need a piss. Fairly confident of that. Have a uh, good Christmas probably our next, all. I'm going to leave Andy to go through these dates whilst I escape. Next Have podcast. a great Christmas and New Year. We love you. <laughs> I love oh. watching him try and get off his beanbag. Oh. It's a... Re- <laughs> So uh, <laughs> we will probably see you again on the sixth of January. Sixth uh, of January, I suspect. Uh, so yes, from all of us here at New Age Boxing, we'd like to wish you a very happy New Year. Um, enjoy Christmas, and uh, that's probably enough from me. So thank you very, very much for the whole year and your continued support. It is massively appreciated. Uh, just your listening alone. And yeah, like I said, that's enough. Thank you very much for listening. Happy New Year and Happy Christmas. Bye.